Good evening, ghouls and fiends. Welcome once again to another episode of the Ministry of Horror. Uh, I think my levels might be a little bit too loud. Just drop that down slightly so I'm not screaming into people's ears. How have y'all been? How's everyone been so far uh, this uh, start of this week? Um, UK, we've had a bit of a warmer day than the last, the last few days. Not, not incredibly warm. I mean, if you, if you know me on the show, I prefer the cold weather. And it's been quite nice and cold recently. Um, so yeah, up to 26 today, which isn't, it's not crazy, crazy warm, but it's, you know, it's warm enough for me. So I hope everyone's been good. We've got a few people in the chat. Hey, Fran. Hey, Bruce. Baby Ice. How's it going, guys? Uh, a few a few discussion points on different films. Uh, Fran the Cannon, no, I only had four options I could choose, and I thought I'd put what you could argue as the most uh, known films in the, the chat. But, I mean, I know, you know, we, we know all the John Carpenter films, but it was a tough decision of what films to put in the in the chat. So if you're listening to this on audio platforms, uh, we've got a little chat going on the live stream for best John Carpenter film as today we're going to be talking about the films of Mr. John Carpenter probably one of my favorite directors of all time has to be said uh, if you are new to watching the live streams please hit subscribe hit like on the stream that all helps it's all all very good for the algorithms if you're listening to this on audio platforms uh, please give us a five star review that also helps a lot uh, and we now have um memberships available so you can get cool cool emojis like i pretty much always just spam an emoji of my dog there's a couple of me and ministry of horror going into the live chat um again on on, on the screen the chat if you're watching this retrospectively it will just say words but if you're in the live chat while we're live you get all these cool emojis loads of cool stuff in there so what have i been up to we had the show um we had the show for the Ministry of Slam on Sunday. It was a cool show. The big news for me personally, and I already need a glass of water. <laughs> the big news for me personally was the company I co-run, uh, Vipco. Um, we've sold to a company in America called Bayview. Uh, Bayview, who have uh, a lot bigger reach than we, we ever did. Um, and uh, more resources behind them. Really cool company. They've done cool things for one of my films, um, Devil in the Woods. That's had a cool little US release available on like, DVD and Blu-ray and Walmart and Target and MGM Online. Loads of cool places. So it, it's, it's, it's all good news. And myself and Peter Goddard, uh, out of the three directors, are being kept on uh, in like kind of sales capacities. Um, as far as I know, it's a sales capacity. I know that the online thing sounds like I'm doing a lot more running than I believe I am. Um, <laughs> but we'll we'll go through all those little bits here and there. And I'm going to be continuing running the uh, the film festival, which I've kind of need to rejig a bit. But uh, they liked what I did with the film festival last year, online-only film festival. So it's, uh, yeah, um, that's, that's going to be continuing. And, uh, yeah, thank you very much, Bruce. And, um, yeah, huge news last night in wrestling. Also, we'll save that for later. Yes, we will uh, We'll save that for I think the next few weeks of, uh, of Ministry of Slam. We're going to be going to be very, very busy. Very, very busy. Um, I know Lawrence did some gaming last night, uh, playing some uh, Sleeping Dogs. Very cool game. Didn't realize it was 10 years old. Um, but that's a, that a very cool... Uh, 
GTA Yakuza type game. Really, really cool. And I know last week's uh, was Turner Years. So again, Paul and Dave, check them out on audio feeds or audio versions on uh, on the stream. Um, and you can give their show a listen. And I also did a little painting video, which has got some cool, cool view counts and really cool comments as well. Uh, I talked a little while back, predominantly in the Discord, but I think briefly on here, about wanting to try my hand at miniature painting. Did a little video uh, at the weekend on Saturday, just shot it in about 45 minutes, edited it, put it up within like an hour or so um, of painting my first miniature, Necron. So some cool feedback saying, you know, maybe what uh, those those comments saying, you know, maybe watch some tutorials first, which is good feedback, but I wanted to kind of just, I wanted it to be a true first attempt going in blind. And the cool thing is I now know things like put a primer on. I don't know what a primer is, but put a primer on first is important. And uh, use a water palette to, you know, reduce the thickness of the colors and just, you know, little things like that. But uh, it's all good stuff. All good stuff. Thank you very much in the live chat, Fran the Cannon. Uh, what else have I been up to? So I've been, I've been watching kind of been watching um like an episode or two a day for the last few days uh, a bbc uh, i guess it's like a teen thriller series it piques my interest because it sounds like it may be horror thriller-esque uh, called red rose um bruce todd and thin your paints yes thin your paints using the water i'm assuming um thank you bruce in the live chat uh yeah a t bbc series called red rose the idea is that there is this. Uh, it's set in like Lancashire, so it's 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 weird. it's a weird time period because they've all got smartphones, so it seems modern. But all of the music is like very early '90s dance music. I don't know if that's just a general thing, or if it's trying to skew the time setting. But the technology is quite up to date, so it's strange. But uh, it involves. Um, oh, I won't say too much, uh, Fran. I've got one more episode to go, uh, so I won't go any spoilers. But it's a basically group of friends, tight, tight group of friends. Um, an app appears on uh, one of the one of the girls' phones called Rosh, uh, who was recently in a film called Metal Lords on Netflix, and that was quite cool. Not just because it was about metal music, but it was, it was a decent little film. And this app seems to be maybe potentially demonic or at least very much nefarious it's uh appears on your phone and it seems to follow what you're doing and it can send out messages as if it's you very controlling um quite nefarious in that regard i am kind of enjoying it i think some of the i tend to turn my brain off when i watch tv and films because i i don't like to be sat there guessing i like to just be in the moment watching enjoying it for what it is there are some bits in this where i'm like wait a minute what's so they're doing their gcse's that's what 15 16 and one of them has a job in a convenience shop okay well yeah technically you can do that when you're 16 i guess but also works behind a bar and i'm thinking well that's i'm pretty sure that's illegal like you can't serve alcohol unless if you're like under 18 you would need an adult's authorization at least in a shop per per alcoholic item so behind a bar anyway little stupid things that i shouldn't notice but i think okay um and some of the dialogue is a little bit corny but it is keeping my interest because i want to see what the 
what is i mean I, I kind of at the stage now know what red rose is again i won't say too much um but i do like a good little mystery where you're getting little breadcrumbs you're getting some intrigue yeah throw logic out the window at some points but um okay so what what's uh so fran said i will say it's pretty bleak so far yeah it doesn't it doesn't really get um <laughs> it doesn't really get any less bleak i'll be honest it is quite dark in that regard but as they're digging deeper into the mystery and i do think probably around episode four or five you may get into a bit more fran um or as we've got in chat bruce todd got a recommendation actually bull starring neil maskell now i do like neil maskell he was excellent in utopia um watched it immediately pre-ordered the blu-ray okay i have heard good things about bull and uh, baby ice bodies 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 is online over here thinking about checking it out tonight i'm just watching tales of the walking dead while waiting cobra kai to start up so his new cobra kai out now and bodies 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 i've heard of we've talked about it briefly in the news a few weeks back but i don't know when that's coming out available over here but i did see something cool uh in in the week that coming to shudder it's either this week or next week is that new um i've already forgotten what it's called i think it might be called nowhere or nobody i'm not sure but the new micah monroe film micah monroe from they follow uh that we talked about as the new film about three three weeks back three four weeks back i've been having a look to see if i can find that online you know via legal means of course but that's going to be coming to shudder um i think it's this week but uh yeah anyway let's jump into the latest news so for fans of art the clown terrifier 2 gets a bloody official trailer and a theatrical release on october 6th from iconic events this comes from bloodydisgusting.com via brad miska art the clown returns this halloween and is more deviant than ever from cine diggum bloody disgusting and Screenbox, we are excited to announce today that damien leone's much anticipated terrifier 2 will be opening in theaters nationwide on october 6th 2022 through iconic events the news was first reported by collider who also shared the official trailer that gives just a small taste of the absolute chaos and sheer ultra violence that will erupt in theaters when terrified 2 is released without an mpa rating uh, i will drop the link in the chat so people can check that out if they want uh right there um <clears throat> Terrified 2 is a sprawling follow-up that horror fans quite simply aren't ready for. Art the Clown is more brutal than ever, with Terrified 2 delivering some of the most jaw-dropping kills we've ever witnessed. In fact, Terrified 2 ups the ante in just about every way and is going to quite literally blow minds this Halloween season. Uh, from writer-director Damien Leone, All Hallows' Eve, the highly anticipated sequel to the cult favourite slasher film welcomes back David Howard Thornton as the demonic killer Art the Clown. Terrifier 2 also introduces uh, Lauren Levera as Sienna, who will become an instant fan favourite. Also returning is Samantha Scafidi, who will reprise her role as Victoria Hayes. Um, I can't, I mean, I've, I have seen Terrifier, but I can't remember any of the characters. Uh, horror icon Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp uh, also makes an appearance. Terrifier 2 has Arthur Clown up to his old tricks once again. Following his gruesome demise in the first film, a sinister presence has brought Art back to life to reign terror on the residents of Miles County. 
On Halloween night, he returns to the unassuming town and sets his sights on fresh prey, a teenage girl and her little brother, portrayed by Levera and Elliot Fulham, respectively. The film marks the fifth on-screen appearance. Fifth? Hmm. Uh, the fifth on-screen appearance of Art the Clown. Originally created for a pair of low-budget shorts, the character made his feature-length debut in Leon's 2013 hit All Hallows' Eve. His iconic look, plus the personality and humour he exudes, changed the way we look at Killer Clowns forever. And it kind of continues on from there. Um, so, what are we getting? So, Bruce Todd and Hey, Head of Steel, how's it going, my dude? Um... Bruce Todd can't wait for the return of Art, and Fran the Cannon hard pass. All Hallows Eve wasn't great, and Art was overrated for me. So, yeah, mixed opinions on Art the Clown. <clears throat> As I've said before, because Terrifier comes up every so often, I do like a new villain, a new iconic villain in, in horror. Uh, we almost kind of got that with, um, with uh, Victor Crowley in the Hatchet films. I'm not a massive fan of the Hatchet films. I've only really seen the first one, to be fair. And I know Danielle Harris comes into the series from two onwards, I believe. So I do need to watch the rest. Um, but Hatchet 1 didn't really do, do anything for me. Um, like, I like a slasher, but I also like protagonists that you can root for. And I don't really think we had that in, uh, in, in Hatchet. I certainly didn't think we had that in Terrifier. Uh, All Hallows Eve just wasn't my jam, really. Um, and I did watch Terrifier, and I thought it, it looked good. It's got some inventive kills. But for me, it didn't give me any sort of narrative that I wanted, which is why, whilst I like the odd slasher to turn my brain off for, it's not really my go-to genre, because I, you know, there's a few, there's a, a fair few slashers that have a good story behind them. And Terrifier, for me, in, in my opinion, and, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion, it was all, all gore, no guts. It didn't have any kind of real story behind it, and that's that's not my that's not my my thing. Um, hey Lawrence, how's it going, dude? Uh, Fran, they build up Crowley's history a bit more in the sequels. Yeah, I do keep meaning to to watch them. I know Hatchet Four is on Shudder, so it, once I can see Hatchet Two on a platform that I don't have to pay an additional premium for. I will uh, I will give it a watch. I am intrigued, and I did see Hatchet again on a 35mm print in a horror cinema screening. But, um, yeah, no, no, I wasn't too impressed with Hatchet. But, uh, yeah, I did kind of prefer Hatchet, I suppose, to All Hallows Leave and, uh, and Terrifier. Uh, Baby Ice in the chat, I don't think Terrifier is that bad, but I also wouldn't root for art at all. Yeah, see, I, I'm, I'm a traditionalist in terms of, like, I preferred the Nightmare films where Freddy is the out-and-out -out villain. When he started transitioning to the sort of almost comedic... Not really an anti-hero, but, you know, he became the real focal point. Uh, you know, um, that's when I kind of started losing a bit of interest. So I am a bit... When, when, when we talk about rooting for uh, Art the Clown... That you know, like rooting for Jason or rooting for Michael Myers. I'm a traditionalist. I'm like, well, no, they're they're technically the villain of the piece, so I don't root for them. And maybe that's why Terrifier isn't a franchise for me. But the new trailer has dropped, so if you like that sort of thing, check it out in the link in the chat. Uh, hey, Meryl as well. Meryl and Law are in the chat. Now, next up, Halloween Ends will be coming to Peacock the same day it's released in theaters, October 
14th. David Gordon Green's Halloween trilogy comes to a close with Halloween Ends on October 14th. Uh, this comes from John Squires at Bloody Disgusting. Um, yes, you'll be able to watch Halloween Ends at home on October 14th, only on Peacock. Jamie Lee Curtis herself made the announcement today, which you'll find down below. The film is being positioned as the final battle between Michael Myers and Laurie Strode, which Jamie Lee Curtis once again stresses in today's big announcement video. And there's a link to the video from Twitter. Again, I'll drop that link in the live chat. You can check that out, see what you think. Uh, there's a new poster as well. Yeah, poster's fine. Uh, so what have we got in terms of the blurb? So it's been rated R for bloody horror, violence, and gore. Language throughout and some sexual references. Uh, after 45 years, the most acclaimed, revered horror franchise in film history reaches its epic, terrifying conclusion as Laurie Strode faces off for the last time against the embodiment of evil, Michael Myers, in a final confrontation unlike any captured on screen before. Only one of them will survive. I mean, that's really hammering it home. Um, that's, to me, Laurie's going to die. Uh, it, here's the official plot synopsis for Halloween Ends. Four years, and uh, this may have spoilers in it, so spoiler warning for Halloween Kills, which is two years old now, but or a year old, I can't remember. But be warned, mute your volume for the next 10 seconds. Um, four years after the events of Halloween Kills, Laurie is living with her granddaughter, Alison, and is finishing writing her memoir. Michael Myers hasn't been sin seen since. Laurie, after allowing the spectre of Michael to determine and drive her reality for decades, has decided to liberate herself from fear and rage and embrace life. When a young man, Corey Cunningham, is accused of killing a boy he was babysitting... It ignites a cascade of violence and terror that will force Laurie to finally confront the evil she can't control once and for all. Nick Castle, the original Michael Myers, has re recently noted that Halloween Ends will be a surprising conclusion to David Gordon Green's trilogy, while makeup effects artist Chris Nelson similarly teased that the third installment in the trilogy is weird and different, and John Carpenter has also called the new movie a departure in recent interviews. Uh, Halloween Ends will also feature the return of Will Patton as Officer Frank Hawkins, Kyle Richards as Lindsay Wallace, and James Jude Courtney as the shape Michael Myers. Ooh, a few things to digest there, guys. Um, <laughs> Baby Ice in the chat says, Michael Myers is just misunderstood. Um, and my name is not Earl. Hey, how's it going? My name is not Earl. Halloween Kills killed my enthusiasm for Ends, to be honest. I am, I, I agree with you there. My name is not Earl. I agree with you. Uh, Jalleray, final battle. I don't believe they know what that means. I agree, because they've already hinted that maybe there's a future for Michael Mars, which just... <sighs> Why try and kill these horror franchises when you know they're going to bring them back? And uh, Bruce Todd, I'll only be happy if the ghost of Donald Pleasance turns up. <laughs> um, so I really did quite like Halloween 2018. We've gone through this a few times. Uh, but Halloween kills just left me feeling a bit deflated i like the 1978 flashback scenes but they've turned michael myers into jason or or as close to something like michael myers from halloween 6 when he goes mental and uh kills all those doctors in that weird lab you know that that just that that kind of strangeness he is a is a stalk slash kill creates these tableaus of horror but in kills he is just a one-man wrecking machine killing all these people 
uh, taken all this damage, stabbed between the shoulder blades, stabbed at the back with a pitchfork. It's just, it's, it's too much. And I think for me, I, I don't know. I, you're either supernatural or you're based in reality. And it felt like they were moving away from the supernatural stuff, which I don't mind. I quite liked the cult of Thorn. I liked the little trilogy of four, five, and six. Um, but uh, I'm not sure what they're doing there. So Halloween ends. I'm reserving my hype for. I was very hyped for kills, but this one I'm. Just, I, I will watch it opening night, no doubt. And I'll probably do a post cinema review. You know, kind of first reactions. Um, but yeah, one only one of them will survive. Really hammering at home, and to me that is saying that Laurie will die. And maybe Allison will incapacitate Michael. I mean, there's some there's some strange things as well with the synopsis. And I won't hang on this for too long because we've got a huge show coming up. And it's quite poignant we're looking at this because the show's a, a John Carpenter show and this is a John Carpenter creation, after all. But she was attacked. Laurie was attacked in the 70s. And, she, you know, she barely survived. A few of her friends died. This killer was then put in in a, a mental asylum, essentially. I don't know if that's the correct terminology these days, but uh, 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 a prison hospital, let's say. She's living like a survivor, going too too much to the edge, too too far gone almost in terms of preparing for his return. We see his return. She barely survives it. Spoiler alert. Her daughter dies, and that's they've made it fairly obvious that her daughter's died. If she is still alive, mm, it's not a strange thing that's, that's happened in a, in a horror sequel, but, you know, come on. Um, so then to have it where she's now deciding to embrace her life, like on one hand, okay, cool, yeah, don't, don't let the past determine your life. But on the other hand, he's not locked up. He's gone on a rampage killed everyone really including her daughter and now she's like i shouldn't really worry about it i've got to embrace life haven't i um so i don't know i mean i'm not going to crap on it because i will watch it i will spend my my hard-earned pounds to watch it in the cinema if any cinemas are still open then um but yeah uh, what, what have we got in the chat? So Halloween 2 is getting some love from Baby Ice Bruce Todd. My name is not Earl. Michael has become Jason is so true. I wouldn't be surprised if he has become a zombie just like Jason did in Friday 6, Jason Lives. And that's my favourite Friday film. Because to me, I it's it's always been, Friday's always been a bit sillier with the over-the-top kills and him becoming a zombie. He was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm around for it. We've had so many different timelines with Halloween. It's, uh, I don't know, we'll see. But anyway, next up in the news, we've got some gaming news, a fair bit of gaming news coming up. There's been uh, some gaming event, uh, some expo. <laughs> but first up, Eldritch Horror meets roguelike gameplay in Selenwald. This again, but disgusting, comes from Mike Wilson. The more Eldritch Horror in video games, the merrier, right? Polish developer Unnameable Arts certainly caters to that with Selenwald, their currently in development action roguelike RPG where 18th century Europe meets dark fantasy and cosmic horror. Gonna be honest, don't really know what a roguelike is. I hear it a lot. I know Metroidvania is like dungeon crawling type thing. Um, you know, and like Souls-like is 
fairly difficult. I don't really know what roguelike is, to be honest. Uh, but this is currently aiming for a 2024 release. Hey, Hassan Terrell, how's it going? Uh, Fran the Can, sorry, in the chat, is Haddonfield just quarantined with just Michael living there? Well, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. Um, don't know. Don't know. The, the trilogy started so well, but this is... This doesn't, you know, it doesn't help my my view on when a new series is being announced as a trilogy. I automatically think, just do one film at a time and see if it does well. Um, it's money, isn't it, at the end of the day? Anyway, currently aiming for a 2024 release on Steam, Selenwald sees you entering the halls of the eponymous University of Selenwald, where scientists hidden away from the world have discovered something that could be described as magic in terms of 1700s Western Europe. Unfortunately, tapping into such power has unleashed unspeakable horrors and madness into the world. Selenworld gives players multiple ways to approach combat. You can play at choir and use stealth or face foes head-on in melee combat or use firearms and powerful magic to deal with enemies from afar. Plan your attacks carefully as every attack has the potential to miss if executed blindly. Or you could play it safe and rely on sneaking past enemies to avoid confrontation altogether. You'll have to be careful with just how... Um, with just how make you use of your resources in Selen World and what you put in your inventory. Okay, so you've got to manage manage items, uh, basically. So I'm not, I've not checked out the trailer for that, but that is in the chat. Um, Fran the Cam, the levels are randomly generated every time you die. Oh. I mean, I don't mind that. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of dying a lot in games. That's why I like story-based games. Um, so maybe that's not for me. But if you like Eldritch Horror in your video games, check out uh, the trailer for Selenwald, scheduled for 2024. Next up, back to the cinematic world. Fear the Dark. Filming has wrapped on Insidious Chapter 5. Uh, again, from Blood Disgusting, John Squires. Sony Pictures is heading back into the further with a long-awaited Insidious 5, releasing in theatres everywhere on July 7th, 2023, and we've learned that filming has now wrapped. After starring in the first two films as Josh Lambert, we learned in 2020 that Patrick Wilson is returning to the franchise as the director of the upcoming fifth instalment. Wilson writes on Instagram, lights out on our next instalment of the Insidious franchise. Second leg of the journey is done. Now on to post. To my entire cast crew, thank you for the drive, the passion and the hours. And big thanks to all the partners, spouses, families, friends who dealt with our wacky schedule. The film was shot under the working title Fear the Dark, but at this time the fifth instalment in the Insidious franchise doesn't yet have an official title. Stay tuned for more as we learn it. Patrick Wilson will star in the film alongside the returning Ty Simpkins as Dalton Lambert, with Rose Byrne as also returning in next year's brand new movie as Renee Lambert. Uh, Insidious Chapter 5 will pick up with the Lamberts ten years after the last movie. Uh, Josh Lambert heads east to drop his son Dalton off at an idyllic, ivy-covered university. However, Dalton's college dream becomes a nightmare when the repressed demons of his past suddenly return to haunt them both. Uh, this will be Re Wilson's debut as director. Scott Teams of Halloween Kills uh, wrote the script based on the story by franchise co-creator Lee Wannell. What do we think of the Insidious films in the chat? Um, I really do like the first film. And I, I enjoy the second film. The second film is a little bit more campy, I suppose you could say, in terms of... Well, really, it was in terms of the performance of the ghost of the woman in black's mother. Because you get a lot of backstory. You find out the woman in black was actually a man um, and the reason why they were as they were. 
And it's the performances at times is a little bit over the top from the ghost of the mother I found. But I did overall enjoy the film. I liked the continuation of the story. Um, and I did really enjoy enjoy the first one. Um, the third one, actually, as well, I thought was really good. So the through line in all the films is um, Lin Shay's character, Lee Wannell, along with the other guy. Uh, the kind of the ghost hunters as it were and the third film's a prequel and that was really good actually i thought i did really enjoy the third film the fourth film not so much don't know just didn't really click with me uh, there was a lot of these moments of attacks where using your psychic powers to send the ghosts flying and it, it made it made me think of the sort of the tv shows like and i i enjoyed buffy the vampire slayer i'd say buffy i would say other sort of tv shows maybe sometimes like the boys i've recently been watching season two of the boys a bit slow to get started but it's it's got quite good i finished season two i think yesterday so i will start season three soon so i am i am behind i admit but um anyway the trope i'm getting to is when you're in fights with characters that you don't want to kill but for whatever reason they could quite easily be killed like that and it's just big pushes or big throws and so the characters so people that don't matter you know non non-main characters can be killed like that huge shows of strength but other human characters who are main characters and i get it because you want to show them in peril but at this end of the day they're a main character they're not going to die they get thrown around and there was a lot of that i felt in insidious 4 and i just sort of thought okay so what's the okay where are we going with this um so insidious 4 wasn't really for me um charmed frown the cannon says yes that sort of thing where it's like they're good shows um supernatural based type shows i mean i say good shows i haven't really seen charmed I'm, i know of it but it wasn't really on my radar um, growing up but those yeah those kind of fights where it's like we've got to show that there's action here but at the end of the day they can't be seriously getting injured so but we need to knock them out or whatever so big throw or big push and they go flying into a wall or a pillar or whatever um my name is not Earl. Insidious 3 is an underrated movie i watched it a lot during the pandemic i do think it deserves more people checking it out i i agree my name is not Earl. We, uh, we're on the same page today um insidious 3 is actually really good really cool villain in it this uh wheezing this wheezing ghost demon type entity um but yeah i i really enjoyed the insidious films and the conjuring films the second Annabelle film I thought was good. The first was a bit near. And I'm not really a massive fan of the third Annabelle film. I know my sister's my sister really likes it. But that one just didn't quite click for me. Um, and I thought The Nun was okay. The first time I saw it in the cinema, I wasn't too impressed because everything was pitch black. Um, but it's all right. It's got, some, it's got some decent moments. It connects quite well to the other films. So that whole kind of universe and Insidious is kind of adjacent to Conjuring because the people involved. But anyway... We've got to move on from the news. We've got a couple more bits to look at. We haven't got anything about new films actually coming out. Let me just check if anything new has been uh, has been updated. Oh, now that's a cool little bit of news. We haven't got any film news, but I've got another bit of game news, and I'm definitely going to definitely going to talk about that. We'll talk about this one first. So more gaming news. Survival shooter Skur Ritual. It's coming this Halloween. A uh, new Gamescom trailer reveals the Elite. Uh, after giving fans a taste of what's to come during D23, 
Steam Next Fest earlier this year, Wales Interactive has announced ahead of Gamescom 2022 the upcoming first-person shooter, or that's ah, not really a shooter, is it? Uh, FPS, first-person perspective, I guess you could say. Skur Ritual will be headed to Steam Early Access just in time for Halloween. Along with the news, the team has dropped a new Gamescom trailer for Skur Ritual that reveals new members of the Elite whom you'll be facing in addition to the Quiet Ones. Uh, Rails Interactors have dropped a 7k enemy banner showing the Elite. I don't know what 7k enemy banner is. Um, <laughs> who include the teleporting Banshee, the hard-headed electric Marina, or Mariner, I should say, the invisible Phantom, and the pyro juggernaut Blazeslinger. Uh, Skir Ritual is set after the events of Made of Skir, taking place in the 1900s, taking on more of a survival wave shooter this time around. Oh, maybe it is an FPS then. Players will be exploring a new area of Skir Island known as the Cursed Lands of Lavanock. Battling alongside up to three of your friends, you'll be taking on old foes and the aforementioned elite, each with a unique set of abilities that will force you to think on your strategies in order to survive. Uh, I'll drop a link in chat. I did play some of Maiden Skirt. It wasn't massively for me, um, but I liked what it what they were doing with it. Uh, Found the can in the chat. This is the Maid of Skirt um, follow up where they've changed what type of game it is. So maybe this might be more my thang. Uh, but it had some alright kind of spooky moments in it. But the full launch of Skirt Ritual is expected on PC and consoles in Q2 2023. Now, this is the bit of news that I've just seen that has uh, certainly piqued my interest. So, following on from the announcement that at Halloween Horror Nights, I think Universal or Hollywood, that uh, there is a escape room, not escape room, sorry, a haunted house for the killer clowns from outer space, and they had a little video for it, which is very cool. And when I went in 2018, 2019... I don't, know, 20, I don't know when it was, 2020 maybe. Whenever I went to Orlando, uh, there was a Killer Clowns um, haunted house there, which was very cool. But Gamescom 2022 reveals that Killer Clowns from Outer Space, the game, is invading consoles and PC in 2023. So we may not be getting a film, but the Killer Clowns are back in a video game form. Debuting at uh, Gamescom, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, the game, a new asymmetrical multiplayer game, comes to home from Terravision Games and Good Shepherd Entertainment in 2023 for consoles and PC. In fact, you can head over to the official site to sign up for the beta. Uh, based on the iconic 80s film, in the battle between killer clowns and citizens of Crescent Cove, team up and use your wits to harvest humans or save them from the alien invasion. You can play as the killer clowns as you cooperate in a team of three players, utilizing their outlandish abilities and weapons as you hunt humans. Or you can fight back as a team of seven human citizens of Crescent Cove, pick your class, explore the city for valuable loot and weapons, avoid getting captured by clowns, and try to survive. Ah, so there is a trailer. I've not checked this out because this is brand new news. But an asymmetrical multiplayer game. Now, we know my feelings on multiplayer games. They're generally not for me. Um, but, I mean, I'm not for multiplayer games, again, if I'm, if I'm playing in a group. Whenever I've played multiplayer games in the past, you're normally just going on to putting them into matchmaking. And it's a bunch of people just don't, they're not, they're not talking. So you basically might as well just be playing a single player game by yourself. Or you've got loudmouth little shites uh, who, who think they're God's gift. But this could be interesting. I mean, an asymmetrical game. Am I maybe thinking something like an XCOM? Like a Killer Clowns XCOM type game? I mean, there's a trailer. I won't, I won't play it because I don't want to 
you know, get any uh, any music um, strikes or anything like that. But I'll definitely have to check that out afterwards. Uh, Left for Honk, Bruce says uh, in the chat. Uh, Baby Ice is deaf playing as a clown. Uh, but I do love some killer clowns of outer space love. Um, why I never got a sequel? I don't know. Maybe it's just a bit too niche. Uh, but uh, I know that they they had originally, I think in 2015, 2016, signed to do a film with sci-fi. And I think the last talk was that it would maybe go into a TV series or TV films. I mean, just give us the killer clowns. That's, that's all we want, really. Uh, and finally, from Gamescom 2022, the Callista Protocol gets bloody good with new gameplay footage. Uh, and I would say, if you haven't already pre-ordered the Callista Protocol, which comes out October or November or December, um, it was like £45 on Amazon for the PS5 copy. I don't know if it's still that way, but... Um, and I should also mention, talking about pre-orders, uh, if you haven't, we had news that I put in the Discord last week, that uh, Matthew Holmes, in character as Garth Marenghi, is releasing a new horror book. Uh, I can't wait for it. I've ordered the signed copy that's uh, for $16.99, same sort of price, from Forbidden Planet. And I definitely will be getting the audiobook version when, when that comes out, because uh, you, you can't not have an audiobook with... Uh, Garth Marenghi reading it. But anyway, Callista Project. Callista Protocol, I should say. December seems so far away to get our hands on striking distant studios, the Callista Protocol. It hasn't been made any easier thanks to the appearance of a new gameplay video for the Callista Protocol at Gamescom. Presented by striking distant studio CEO Glenn Schofield, the new footage follows up the uh, footage, sorry, ups the ante for those fans looking for more Dead Space style disembed dis oh my god, I can't read tonight. Dismemberment, while also carving out some new stuff for the Callista Protocol. The new Gamescom footage for the Callista Protocol sees protagonist Jacob Lee making his way through a corridor while avoiding the mutated biophage. Of course, there's always time to make use of the various gadgets at the player's disposal. That includes sending the biophage into a grinder, as well as ma making targeted shots to sever limbs. You can even use biophage as shields to protect you from enemy projectiles, much to their dismay. Uh, so, I'll drop the link for that in the chat, but I am hyped for this game. Um... And hey, Gruff is in the chat. Hey, dude. Evening all, currently stuck at Tenerife waiting for a delayed flight. Oh, no. Uh, popped on to say hi, and of course, the obvious answer to the polls thing. Why even poll it? Frown <laughs> um, uh, the can and clicked the link. Somehow got distracted by the news that RIPD is somehow getting a sequel. Yeah, RIPD was fine. You know, it was all right. It was cool. They're trying to do something new. I always prefer, you know, like a new IP, but it was all right. It was it was very much an un uh, an undead Men in Black sort of film. That's how it felt. Um, uh, R.I.P. was news um, was surprising. It has like two fans, doesn't it? R.I.P.D. Bruce Todd says, uh, yeah, don't know why it's getting a sequel, but interesting. So that is it for the game news. Now, God, we've got quite a lot to get through. We've already been going for 45 minutes. And I haven't even got a trailer prepared because we haven't done a gaming uh, a gaming show for a little while. But first up, let's talk about the reviews. Boy, howdy, we've got a couple of reviews today. So... This is God. Damn, that, that was meant to be an opportunity for me to hit my vape. Yeah, the graph wasn't a fan of R.I.P.D. Men in Black comparison is fair. 
My name's not Earl. RPD gets a sequel, and yet Killer Clowns gets dumped again. Yes, not fair. Right, the first film we are reviewing is Glorious. So, um, I'll try not to honk on that too much. But I need a drink now from all my talking. <laughs> ah. So we talked about Glorious a bit over the last few weeks. A new HP Lovecraft adjacent film of uh, uh, like a trans-dimensional god type being. But the hook with this film is it's set in a uh, public toilet. It's a glory hole, essentially. Um, I was kind of interested in this. I was interested in this because the premise sounds sounds intriguing. Uh, it's a 2022 American horror film, thriller, directed by Rebecca McKendry and starring Ryan Quentin and J.K. Simmons. Now, it is very much a one-man show for the majority of this. I don't know if this was filmed... Uh, I, don't, I don't think it was filmed during the pandemic. But normally when I see a small cast, I think pandemic film and that shouldn't really be a bad thing because you know it's good to be getting out making films all the time always always you know enthusiastic about that but sometimes it could be to the detriment like if you're having a film that's focused solely on one one to two characters it's got to be really engaging or a really good hook otherwise it can get very dull very quickly glorious it's a lean 79 minutes it's not a long film and the performance of Ryan Quentin as Wes is 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 decent. He's an alright actor. I haven't really ever seen him in anything that I've thought is is great. He's an alright actor. And J.K. Simmons provides the voice of Gat um Gatan Northoa. Basically, it's this interdimensional god that is in this bathroom stool that uh Wes happens to stumble upon. He is extremely hungover, driving Something has happened. I don't even, I may have zoned out a bit, but the, something has occurred with his girlfriend or a girl that he liked, which has then led him to go on a bit of a bender. He's ended up getting hammered in this uh, parking area outside of a restroom on, a, on like a motorway or a highway and uh, burnt up all his belongings, including his pants or, if you're English, trousers, and ends up in this stool where he hears this voice from the stool next to him and it's this uh, jk sims doing the voice basically saying that he is hiding from his godfather because something will occur which will lead to the end of all humanity is the gist this is all right this is all right i will be honest you can probably see from the poster artwork if you're watching this on live stream, but if you're not, it's got a very sort of neon purple tinge. And that is getting overdone quite a bit on recent films. We watched a film a few weeks back called Revealer. Now, it's set in the 80s, uh, peep show type thing, but there's like a god judgment, tentacle type beings. Again, very H.P. Lovecraft sort of inspired. But again, it was very neon purpley pink as the, the main kind of colour palette and we get that here to me i don't know if this is all heavily inspired by mandy because mandy was the first film i can remember in a while with the over stylized lighting 
in regards to like a pinky and purpley tone the thing is it didn't heavily rely on that it worked in the scenes and it was a very highly stylized uh art house horror which we will get to for the homework a bit later on but it's kind of then feeling like that approach for lighting has been imitated quite a bit where we're stuck with essentially two characters for the majority of it some bit part appearances from other characters a bit later on um you get a little bit of variety but i didn't i didn't think this was great um i felt that this was kind of all right shudder exclusive fare um i don't know if this score's maybe a bit too harsh but i wouldn't say i had a great time 5.5 out of 10 uh, what the chat saying uh Fran the cannon j jonah jameson creeping in a toilet that's what you get for hating spider-man bruce todd newly added to shudder shows quite a trend yes very much so baby ice purplish pink is the new reddish black yeah pretty much spot on there and my name is not earl ha 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 i was just about to write mandy feeling to the poster there, there we go and um to avoid any doubt for later on when we get to the homework section mandy's a far superior film <laughs> i think that should go without saying now <laughs> um we're now gonna get to the, the full moon retro review god what, what did i do what did i do with my pick this week for the full moon retro review um yes sorry in the chat glorious is on uh, shudder it's a shudder exclusive graph um okay i watched a film for the full moon retro review this week that's been discussed <laughs> offhand a couple of times in the chat okay and it's the it's not a retro film because I think it actually came out this year. But this film was like the longest. I think the film actually length was actually sixty nine minutes. <laughs> um, and it's got a five point two out of ten on IMTB. And that was yes, Bruce Todd, Attack of the Fifty Foot Cam Girl. Oh my god, I'm gonna have to have a honk on my vape. I'm gonna have to have a honk on my vape. I'm sorry, guys. It's going back to horror fair for for uh, for the retro reviews. We're gonna do we're gonna do subspecies part two next week. I'm putting that in there because that is actually a really good film that I've not seen for a very long time. This film. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you're watching the live stream, the the artwork kind of tells you what you what you what you're getting with this film <laughs> please don't judge me fran <laughs> oh god so this is 2022 69 minutes long directed by jim winorski written by kent i mean i say written in the loosest possible term by kent rodebush stars ivy smith uh eli Quirino, and christine nagayan <laughs> baby ice in the chat looks like a tall alexa bliss four stars <laughs> so basically um beverly 
Well, I'll read you the blurb that's on IMDb. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Beverly Wood is one of the biggest stars on social media, and quite often in this film, they say hashtag whatever, and the hashtag appears on the screen. And, oh, my God, that does not get any less irritating. Uh, she's one of the biggest stars of social media. Millions of fans subscribe to her sexy cam shows and buy her products, and it seems like everyone loves her. Everyone that is except her husband, Bradley, and Fuchsia, uh, the young upstart, who I'm sure, look, not to be funny, does look older than Beverly, uh, the young upstart who secretly plots to bring Beverly down and take over her online empire forever by basically trying to get her killed. Okay, but when Beverly's latest and untested brand, Unholy Matrimony, gives her some gargantuan side effects, she becomes an even bigger force to be reckoned with. Ballooning to beastly proportions, the now 50-foot-tall influencer becomes super large, totally in charge, and ready for revenge in this wacky comedy that's positively bursting at the seams. <sighs> Oh my god. Okay. This, 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 okay. <laughs> I'm not often speechless. This is a titty film, basically. This is, uh, this is not really even a step up from softcore Channel 5 fare from, you know, from the, the late 90s starring Gene Simmons' wife. Um, can never remember what her name was, but uh, Shannon Tweed. <sighs> Dodgy that I remember that still. Um, but those films actually had a plot. <laughs> This, oh god, this film drags like like nothing. So the she sells these products, which I guess makes sense with like shampoo or conditioner. You know, social media influencers will get paid to promote products to their fans. But then her new product that she's got scientists working on is an untested. They're vegetables, basically. I don't know why it's called, like, ungodly meat or whatever it is. They're vegetables. And she eats a carrot, which then gives her an upset stomach. And then she grows to 50 foot tall. Um... <laughs> Fran the can in the chat. I'm waiting for him to describe this as the Citizen Kane of Full Moon Pictures. I mean, I'm not really going to talk about it anymore, because I'm just going to jump to uh, my score, which is... <laughs> I'm going to give it two. Two T's out of ten. <laughs> it's not a good film. Like, I, I quite enjoyed that Kra the Sea Monster film, which was like a knockoff Power Rangers film, because it, it was fun. It was stupid, but it was fun. This was... This, there was... I mean, the, the fight near the end was quite fun, because they had all these like miniature sets that they were destroying. But you couldn't really look at them, because there's like 50-foot arses in the air flopping around. Um, that's, yeah, that's two, two out of ten. <laughs> oh, God. So now it's time for homework. Bruce Todd in the chat says, two is too generous. <laughs> and Sl Slasher Fred, welcome to the, uh, welcome to the show. There's a movie called Attack of the 60-Foot Centerfold. Hopefully that is better than Attack of the 50-Foot Cam Girl. And I imagine the centerfold was probably an inspiration or what they ripped off. But for your homework, and I want to hear your scores in the chat that I set last week, was the much better than glorious uh, Mandy from 2018. 
Action Horror, directed by Panos Cosmatos, produced by Elijah Wood, co-written with Cosmatos, and Albert Stewart Arn, based on the story by Cosmatos, uh, starring Nicolas Cage and Andrea Riseborough, along with Linus Roach, Ned Dennehy, Olin Fuhrer, Richard Brake, and Bill Duke. Talking to Bill Duke, I did recently watch uh, Predator for like the millionth time. Bill Duke is excellent. That Predator is an excellent film. So what do we think in the chat? I'll oh, take care, Gruff. Uh, have fun. Catch up on the podcast. We will see you next week. What do we think in the chat of Mandy? Are we fans? Do we like the stylized take? Are we fans of Nicolas Cage in this film? Are we Nick Cage fans at all? Uh, just have a quick honk on the vape. There we go. So, uh... Oh, Bill Duke is also amazing in Commando. I do need to watch that again. I haven't seen that for so long. Uh, Baby Ice, Mandy, 9 out of 10. It is that good. Bruce Todd, Mandy's 9 out of 10. It's a blast, always entertaining, not enough Richard Brake. This, uh, man, this, this was one of those films that I had to order in a copy as soon as I could. For whatever reason... It seemed to take a bit of a while to get its British home release. I don't know how it did cinema-wise. Um, I don't know if it had a UK cinema release, or if it did, it must have been very limited. Um, but I remember ordering a copy, and I think I got like a European import. Kind of similar to with uh, the Suspiria remake, where for whatever reason, it was meant to be available for home release for ages, but it just wasn't. So I ended up buying a German copy. But on the other hand, the remake of Suspiria is absolute shite. Really incredibly disappointing. But Mandy, good lord, am I glad that I got that as soon as I could. Like, this film is so good. The, the I mean, I'm going to have to watch this again soon. I haven't watched this in a little while. But the score, I remember the score by Johan Johansson being absolutely incredible. And, oh, man, he died in 2018. I didn't even realise the film was dedicated to him. Shit, that sucks. But um, his score is absolutely incredible in this. Every shot just feels powerful. There's no wasted shots. There's no plodding in this film. It is an incredible revenge film. It's psychedelic. It's art house. You could argue there's a bit too much penis in one scene. Um, but the the what I found interesting was this this guy, this cult leader who falls in love with a woman he drives past, who turns out to be Nick Cage's missus, kidnaps her. They drug her with this, I think, wasn't it like an extract from like a wasp or a hornet or something from memory? Um, that, that they drug her to basically become like his new wife or something along those lines. But all she does is laugh at him. She's Nick Cage's wife, Mrs. whatever. Um, she isn't enamored by him. She thinks he's pathetic. So in front of Nick Cage, they've got like barbed wire tied up, I think, from memory outside. They bring her out in a sleeping bag, hang it up, and set it on fire. I mean, that... The scene when that happens, then followed by Nick Cage getting himself loose, surviving this ordeal, because I think he'd been stabbed as well. And he goes into his house, and he gets this bottle of vodka, I think it might be. I'm sure it's vodka, not whiskey. It's, it's a, I'm sure it's a clear liquor. And he is a screaming, drinking it and screaming... And in another film, you could look at that as kind of comical. But in here, it's just powerful because it's like his world has been turned upside down 
by people that he doesn't know by this like sort of demonic like, biker type group and he goes fucking ape shit uh red is his character name this is this is just incredible incredible i would agree nine out of ten nine point five Fran the cannon eight this is top tier cage playing cage and the weapon he forges is so metal baby eyes a question was mandy so pure she resisted the cult's influence and her protector nick cage set everything right or was she so evil her angel of death nick cage got revenge huh. that's an interesting question baby eyes i never really thought of that before I mean, at the ending scene, we see a vision of her returned. And he has quite clearly lost his mind at this moment because he's gone on a killing rampage. Like, he has murdered everyone. We don't know where he's going at the end, but he is drenched in blood, seeing this vision of his missus, and maybe, maybe Mandy was kind of leading him to that unknowingly oh that's an interesting point uh my name is not Earl. better than expected i question everything nick cage does these days still enjoyed it for what it is slasher fred if you have ever seen fast times at Ridgemont high nick cage has a very small appearance never seen that film slasher fred baby ice nick cage loves bulging his eyes out and going crazy uh found the cannon Cra cage confronting breaks the chemist and his tiger was an interesting scene too and my name is not Earl. K. nick cage best move will always be face off to me yeah face face off is uh I do like face off. I've got a soft spot for that. Um, <laughs> I just love the bit at the start when he's the priest going mental, uh, head banging. Um, so good, so good. So, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with those scores. Now, for your next homework, your next bit of homework, I don't know why this film just popped into my head because I don't really think people talk about it enough. And I actually think it is excellent. It's an incredibly slow burn horror film incredibly slow burn but uh i caught this a few years ago i think it may have been watching a film with like a with an ex-girlfriend not expecting much just sort of going through prime i think it's now on shudder if it's not on shudder i think it may still be on prime but i have picked for your homework for next week uh and you may not be able to see that behind the chat i'll just uh, take chat for a second the invitation 2015 American horror film directed by Karen Kusama and written by Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi, starring Logan Marshall Green, Tammy Blanchard, Michael Hoosman, um, and Amiyatsi Corinaldi, uh, along with, it should be mentioned, uh, John Carroll Lynch, who is excellent. The film premiered March 13th, 2015 at South by Southwest Film Festival and began a limited release on April 8th. 2016 through video on demand by draft house films has anyone in the chat seen the invitation so this is like i said it's an incredibly slow burn film uh a guy is driving his girlfriend to the home of his ex-wife who's hosting a dinner with her new husband david the couple the original couple will and eden divorced after the accidental death of their young son ty um and eden met david at a grief support group in mexico Baby Ice, I saw this, another good film, Cults Make Great Villains. Brown the Can, this is the one at the dinner party, right? Yes. My name's not Earl, I've heard of this. So guys, check it out, refresh your memory for next week. This is the dinner party. Again, very slow burn, so just know that going in. And if slow burn isn't your thing, you, you, you're warned, you're pre-warned. 
Um, but that is what we got for your homework for next week. Now, it's come a little bit out of the blue because I thought I have actually finished this book a couple of weeks ago, but we are going to do the return, which I do normally signpost, but uh, screw it, I'm going mad lad tonight, of the uh, MOH Book Club. So, the book from last time was Stephen King's Revival. Now, I blitzed through this, and I kind of knew that I would. I have read this book before, when it came out, um, and I really enjoyed it. It's... The horror elements really kind of kick in in, like, the final third of the book. It's kind of a coming-of-age-esque story... But uh, it's this is Stephen King, 2014. It was uh, first published by Scribner or Scribner, don't know. Uh, and it's uh, it revolves around two main characters really: Charles Jacobs, a Methodist church uh, minister, coming to a, a small town, and uh, a young child called Jamie Morton. They kind of become friends. Uh, Charles Jacobs has this fascination with electricity. Uh, he tries to sort of create a bit more enthusiasm in like, the youth Methodist club. Uh, and he seems to be a fairly popular new minister in the church, so it's quite a religious area, I guess. Um, unfortunately, well, okay, I'm kind of jumping ahead a bit. He proves to be a bit of a savant when it comes to electricity, uh, able to kind of heal some ailments main character's brother gets uh, smacked in the throat by a, a ski like a skiing pole loses his voice hasn't come back when it should have done he does this little electrodes electric stimulation it does come back but uh, tragedy strikes there's a motor accident where uh charles jacob's wife and young son are unfortunately quite vicious viscerally killed in a car crash car collision with another driver who had an epileptic fit at the wheel this leads to a sermon that charles jacobs does called like the the bad sermon or something along those lines where he basically kind of questions god and god's existence we then really follow in jamie morton's life and his interactions throughout his life with charles jacobs there's a moment where he comes across charles jacobs when uh, jamie morton's been a bit of an out and out sort of punk rock guitarist for a while he's hit drugs very heavily his life's kind of in the shitter um but charles jacobs who's now doing these uh uh kind of portrait photo events kind of like i don't know how you describe it but he was taking these like phantom pictures so like big big top sort of carnival type events where you know have your picture taken in front of this thing and it will be projected onto the ceiling or onto this wall all this stuff he ends up doing some electrical method to treat Jamie of his uh, alcoholism and drug addiction. But Jamie starts looking into these cases with some other people who have been healed over the years by Charles Jacobs. And they've had side effects. 
one such side effect he goes with a, a colleague to an event where they can see Charles Jacobs doing some he's now like a TV minister much much older and uh, his his pal who'd also been treated for hearing loss suddenly has a vision where everyone has ants heads they've got heads of ants and there's like a weird dimension where these ants are like gods basically and that's where things take a turn for the weird so if anyone's read revival let me know on social media if you're listening to this later or, or in the chat your thoughts on it uh, but yeah things get weirder from there i mean we end up going down the rabbit hole of further treatments things getting a lot closer to home for for uh for uh, jamie leading to him having to assist charles jacobs in his final thing his final thing being he wants to bring someone back from the dead revival as the title to see what there is can't see what his, what his wife and wife and son are seeing and holy shit that opens the floodgates that's where it goes full hp lovecraft in in the book um i really enjoyed this i mean it's a good solid eight out of ten book for me the horror elements like i say come in much later but you could say that with a fair few stephen king things it's not like a like a james herbert book or or rich lemon where the horror is a bit more kind of full-on you could say but it's uh, it's a book that they've been talk of adaptations for quite a while but it appears a number of directors are hitting uh, similar stumbling blocks. Um, I know Mike Flanagan and both Josh Boone have been attached at different points to direct uh, a film adaptation. And it's hit the same, the same sort of snags, unfortunately. So we're going to come up to the next homework for the MOH Book Club. And it's a book that kind of was part of the start of the start of Ministry of Horror Book Club. It's the book we didn't pick when we picked Ritual that I've still not read, and that is My Heart is a Chainsaw. Stephen Graham Jones. A tale that will terrify you and break your heart all at the same time, says Time Magazine. Or Time, yeah, Time. I don't know. Um, so, I mean, I'll read the back of this again. We, we read this, you know, the blurb quite a while back. Well, I've got the synopsis actually on screen. That's a bit easy in trying to read that. Jay Daniels is an angry half-Indian outcast with an abusive father, an absent mother, and an entire town that wants nothing to do with her. She lives in her own world, a world in which protection comes from an unusual source, horror movies, especially the ones where a masked killer seeks revenge on a world that wronged them, and Jade narrates the quirky history of Proof Rock, as if it is one of these movies. But when blood actually starts to spill into the waters of Indian Lake, she pulls us into her dizzying encyclopedic mind of blood and masked murderers and predicts exactly how the plot will unfold. Um, interesting. Baby Eyes, who's making a big screen adaptation of this Lovecraftian pet cemetery for humans? Well, no one yet, Baby Ice. No one. Um, apparently, it's either the money or it just it all becomes way too expensive. I guess, I don't know. Some low budget films manage to do a lot with little, so don't think you're making excuses. <laughs> but that is what we're going to be reading over the next month or so is My Heart is a Chansor. Um,. I think we, even though, even though we haven't done the gaming for a few weeks, I think we're just going to take a quick ad break. I need to stretch my legs, um, and this will give me a couple of minutes to do that before we get into the mammoth task of discussing the cinematic films. Because I'm not going to talk about TV episodes and TV made films because there's already enough films as there are, as there are. but the uh, the films of John Carpenter. So, um, do what do we reckon? Do we kiss Caitlin or do we kiss Dylan? 
Are we kissing a girl or are we kissing a boy? What do we think? safe in the car really we're gonna be okay oh no oh, fuck. oh my god that's ted Jesus. raimi roll it down that's the sheriff Kyle. must be exhausted i know i am oh, god it's gonna get attacked i think our imagination oh shit dylan's gonna be pissed Oh god, she doesn't seem interested, does she? Ugh. Oh no. Oh no, those side glances are horrible. At uh, the tower, jump free of your troubles. Fight or flight. Oh god. This feels like it's uh, an omen of what's to come. I've been the thing from the start of the game. Oh crap. Uh, we gotta help Nick. We gotta help Nick. Oh, whoa. Oh, no, it's the creatures. Oh, no. Right, get that door closed. Oh, shit. Oh. Oh, no, he's been caught in a snare. Trouble's an excellent choice. And anything buzz me out, Lost Boys. Corey Feldman sound like Stallone. Yeah, I don't know why he's doing that low voice, but I think that's kind of part of their character where they're trying to be much older and more hardened than they actually are. You should have turned it off before you handed it in, Dylan. Them's the rules, you noob. Yeah, Dylan. Oh, oh, go. Oh, my go. And they just turned off the camera. Uh, probably nothing. That was clearly a, a mayan. Looks like we have a choice on our hands. Do we snoop through someone else's belongings? Or do we open a spooky trap door and die a horrible, painful death? I think I know what the chat want to say. Open trap door, search bag. Open trap door, she just said, will lead to a horrible, painful death. Or search the bag. Open the trap door! Goodbye, cool world. The final curtain is calling and there's no time to run. Oh! Oh god. Oh man, this is munching. I mean, I think we can end the poll. Welcome back, ghouls and fiends. God, I need to stretch stretch my old trotters, stretch my limbs. Um, we're talking about probably my biggest inspiration in horror films. Probably the reason I wanted to try doing 
any sort of horror filmmaking ever, really. And that is the man, the myth, the legend, my hero, my boy, my boy Blue. That is Mr. John Carpenter. Um, the legend is 74 years young. Born January 16th, 1948. He's an American filmmaker, actor, composer. Um, he's worked in various genres, most commonly associated with horror, action, and science fiction films. Um, at the 2019 Cannes Film Festival, the French Directors Guild gave him the Golden Coach or Coach Award, lauding him as a creative genius of raw, fantastic, and spectacular emotions. Um, man, 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 man. We got I got all his films kind of listed up. And funnily enough, considering I'm a big uh, John Carpenter fanboy, I haven't seen all his films. Hey, Mel. In the live chat, Unexplained Possibilities, check that out on, on podcast streams and YouTube. That is uh, Crimson Mel. It's a great show. Um, I've really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed the recent ones I've been, uh, been watching. Hey, Mel. How's it going, dude? And obviously, Slasher Fred in the chat, yes. Uh, John Carpenter, such a classic movie director, of course. Also love Wes Craven and Tom Holland, the guy who did Fright Night in Child's Play. Right, yes. And he wrote Psycho 2, says My Name Is Not Earl. And Psycho 2 is a very underrated sequel. That was really good, actually, that one. But with John Carpenter, we are going to go through his cinematic films. And at the very end of it, I was initially going to give you my top three, but I thought three leaves out too many i'm going to give you my top five and i don't know it yet i kind of have my idea for a couple of them but i i don't know where i'm going to fit other films just yet but there's too many that i can i couldn't just do a top three but we're going to start off with uh his very first one which i haven't seen i do hate to say that and that is dark star uh, where's the John Carpenter picture. Dark Star, science fiction comedy film written, directed, and produced by John Carpenter, co-written by Dan O'Bannon, who is uh, synonymous with the Alien film. Follows the crew of the deteriorating starship Dark Star 20 years into their mission to destroy unstable planets that might threaten future colonization of other planets. Um, as I mentioned, I've not actually seen the film. I can't talk too much about this. Uh, it was released 1974. I think it was originally a student student film. Um, it was yeah, it began life at the University of Southern California as a student film produced from 1970 to 72, gradually being expanded into a feature length film um, in 1974, getting a theatrical limited release in 75 with an estimated budget of sixty thousand um, dollars. As with a lot of the John Carpenter films that we'll be looking at, initially unsuccessful with audiences, it became relatively well received by critics and continued to be shown theaters later on becoming a cult classic on home video. Um, this was his directorial debut, and he also scored the film. Do we have fans in the live chat of, uh, of Dark Star? Like I say, I've not, I've not seen it. I can't really say too much about it. We're not going to do the synopsis for every film. I'll give you the brief bit at the start that you know we get from Wikipedia. But I can't really go too much into my thoughts on this, because like I say, I haven't seen it. But this was released 1974. Now, two years later, we got uh, really like the first proper, proper uh, John Carpenter film. 1976's uh, Assault on Precinct 13. Action thriller film written, directed, scored, and edited by John Carpenter. 
Austin Stoker stars as a police officer who defends a defunct precinct against a relentless criminal gang, along with Darwin Johnson as a convicted murderer who, murderer who helps him. Laurie Zimmer, Tony Burton, Martin West, and Nancy Carl's co-stars are the defenders of the precinct. I enjoyed this film. Um, I Like a few of the films, I watched it much later. Um, I generally kind of really watched his horror fair first. Not for any particular reason, just I guess... A lot of the horror films I would see on TV, like, you know, I've kind of said ad nauseum, the uh, the horror channel, the impact that has had. Not the horror channel, sorry, the sci-fi channel. Um, but uh, the, the action films, I didn't really see too much later, so I only saw this probably about five years ago and I picked it up on Blu-ray. It does have that feel of an uh, exploitation type film from the 70s, um, just kind of in terms of uh, the tone. But you were getting an early look at the sort of um, mise-en-scene and uh, the pacing that would kind of become synonymous with John Carpenter much later on. There's um, quite a few moments in the assault on the police station where you've got these these moments of tension starting to ramp up and uh, threat of life, you know, kind of throughout it. It's a good film. A very good sort of proper debut, if you want to you want to say that i mean not to say anything too bad about dark star because i haven't seen it but assault on precinct kind of <coughs> excuse me felt uh felt like a, a step up from what i hear uh eddie hickey's in the chat hey eddie how's it going baby eyes says uh precinct 13 is good i love the opening country song in dark stars the slasher fred around the cam there's something throughout carpenter's career he seems to enjoy a bit of humor just as much as he likes his horror and um, unexplained possibilities. France says Assault on Precinct 13 is good. I even enjoyed the remake. Um, Baby Eyes, full disclosure, while they amped up the action and story in the remake, I also loved that one. Slash Fred, I read that Assault on Precinct 13 was inspired by an old Western film called Rio Bravo. Um, quite possibly, Slasher Fred. I mean, Rio Bravo was also a bit of an inspiration for one of his later films uh, in 1998, which we will get to uh, quite a bit later on because we've got whew, quite a few to get through. But this led to his third film, and arguably one of his most famous, and really, I guess, the start of his kick-ass run of, of, of releases, 1978's Halloween. I'm not going to spend too long on this. We've done a Halloween tier list before. We've done, like, a 70s film list before, like a slasher list. So this film has been featured enough, you know, a number of times on the channel. The 1978 independent slash film, directed and scored by John Carpenter, co-written with producer Deborah Hill, starring Jamie Lee Curtis in her film debut, Donald Pleasance, with PJ Souls and Nancy Keys appearing in supporting roles. The plot centres around mental patient Michael Mars, who was committed to a sanitarium for murdering his babysitting teenage sister on Halloween night when he was six years old. Fifteen years later, he escapes and returns to his hometown, where he stalks a female babysitter and her friends while under pursuit by his psychiatrist. Uh, this took place, uh, film took place in Southern California in May 78, uh, premiered in October, whereupon it grossed $70 million, becoming one of the most profitable independent films of all time. And this was a huge inspiration uh, for a number of slasher films kind of there on. It took some inspiration from Psycho and Black Christmas, but, uh, yeah, it's been selected for um, preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Y yeah, I mean, I don't really want to say too much more on Halloween because we've said a lot 
on on Halloween on this show in the past, but this was my very first horror film that I ever saw on TV. Uh, and it's left an undeniable impact. It's still one of my favourites. Where will it be on my top five at the end of the show? Well, that, that would be telling. But this then led us to The Fog. Fog being released in 1980. Supernatural horror film, uh, co-written by... Um, bu- 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 the screenplay was uh, co-wrote... Oh god, he also co-wrote the screenplay and created the music for the film. Well, who else wrote it? Deborah Hill, of course, of course, Deborah Hill, starring Adrian Barbeau, who was oh, stunning back in the day. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tom Atkins, who yeah, Tom Atkins is awesome. He needs to have been in more films. Janet Lee and Hal Holbrook tells the story of a strange glowing fog that sweeps over a small coastal town in California, bringing with it the vengeful ghosts of mariners who were killed in a shipwreck there 100 years before. The Fog was not well received by critics upon release, but was a hit at the box office, making over $21 million domestically on a $1.1 million budget. Since its release, it's received more positive retrospective reviews and has become a cult classic. A remake followed in 2005, which was panned, but performed well at the box office. Never seen the remake? Uh, Baby Ice, um, Adrian Barbeau, hubba hubba. Eddie Hickey, I've never watched Halloween, but I've seen good reviews. Yes, Halloween, the original, is excellent. And there's quite a few good films in the franchise, depending on who you ask. Um, I I love most of the films. Not really the Rob Zombie films, to be honest. Um, Do do, do Jell Ray, um, Adrian Barbeau is gorgeous. The remake is awful. Yeah, I've never heard good things about the remake. It does not sound like it's one worth watching. I know that... uh, John Carpenter was an executive producer or something on the remake, but he himself has said that title basically meant turning up once or twice and saying hello, then going home. Um, <laughs> so that kind of says all we need to do. Uh, slash Fred, there have been two versions of Halloween. One of them is a TV version, which has some added scenes, including one where Loomis is at a staff board meeting. Um, <laughs> Fran Can says, I didn't hate the remake, remake but considering your love for carpenter i'd suggest you skip it uh we're gonna then move on to just one year later uh escape from new york i mean he's churning out the classics one after the other 1981 american science fiction action film co-written co-scored and directed by john carpenter Stars Kurt Russell, Lee Von Cleef, Donald Pleasance, Ernest Borgnine, Isaac Hayes, Adrian Bar- Barbeau, and Harry Dean Stanton. The film storyline, set in the near-future world of 1997, concerns a crime-ridden United States, which has converted Manhattan Island in New York City into the country's sole maximum security prison. Air Force One is hijacked by anti-government insurgents who deliberately crash in New York City. Ex-soldier and current federal prisoner Snake Plissken is given just 24 hours to go in and rescue the President of the United States, after which, if successful, he will be pardoned. So a little blurb here. Carpenter wrote the film in the mid-70s in reaction to the Watergate scandal. After the success of Halloween, he had enough influence to begin production and filmed it mainly in St. Louis, Missouri, on an estimated budget of $6 million. Deborah Hill and Larry J. Franco served as producers. The film was co-written by Nick Castle, who had collaborated with Carpenter by portraying Michael Myers in the original Halloween. It was uh, received positive reviews from critics and was a commercial uh, success, grossing more than $25.2 million at the box office. Uh, become a cult classic, as with pretty much most John Carpenter films. 
Uh oh, we're getting spammed by the porno sites. Thank you very much, Fran, for dealing with those. Um, John and Debbie came up with the idea on a visit to Stonehenge. My name's not Earl said. Um, I mean, they were quite, quite the team. This is a great film. I mean, we could say that about pretty much most of the John Carpenter catalog, but I mean, this is an all-time classic. They've been threatening to do a remake or another sequel because there has been a there has been a sequel, which we will get to later on. But they've been talking about doing a remake for quite a while. Um, I just yeah, leave it as is. No one can do it justice. I does. I mean, there's been remakes to films that have been good and enjoyable, and I've never think like. Oh, I'm not going to watch that because it will tarnish my view on the original. Because to me, the, the original is always there. Don't be a baby. But some things you just need to leave, you know? Just leave well enough alone. So following on from Escape from New York in uh, 81. 1982. One year later, we got the thing. And we've again, we've talked about this. You know, we've, had to, we've done a whole show on this on this anniversary. 1982, American science fiction horror film The Thing, directed by John Carpenter from a screenplay by Bill Lancaster, based on the 1938 John W. Campbell Jr. novella Who Goes There? It tells the story of a group of American researchers in Antarctica who encounter the eponymous Thing, a parasitic extraterrestrial life force that assimilates, then imitates other organisms. The group is overcome by paranoia and conflict as they learn that they can no longer trust each other and that any of them could be the thing. The film stars Kurt Russell as the team's helicopter pilot, R.J. McCready, and features A. Wilford Brimley, T.K. Carter, David Clennon, Keith David, Richard Dysart, Charles Hallahan, Peter Maloney, Richard Masseur, Donald Moffat, Joel Polis, and Thomas G. Waits in supporting roles. Again, we've done a we've done a whole a whole show on this. Um, it was released in 1982 to negative reviews, being called instant ju junk and wretched excess, uh, and proposed as the most hated film of all time by cinema, film magazine Cine Fantastique. This it came out at the same time as E.T. and E.T. was a very happy, optimistic film about alien visitation. This was incredibly nihilistic, but it, again. It found its audience on home media, and it's become a huge cult classic, one of uh, one of his most famous films. So I imagine it's been quite a, a time, really, as a director for John Carpenter. You know, he enters a period where quite a number of his films do poorly, you know, at, at the box office and maybe review wise, but are then found their appreciation at a later date. And uh, yeah, this I mean, this is one of those ones where you just think. This should have been a huge hit. Uh, I mean, it did well enough to eventually get a, a prequel. That was that was a real missed opportunity. That prequel, like story-wise, the prequel was decent, but the end product was just not not good. Not good, in my opinion. That was the 1982 film, The Thing. He then followed up in 1983. When will this man take a break? With the adaptation of the Stephen King classic, Christine. There's a 1983 supernatural thriller horror directed by Carpenter starring Keith Gordon, John Stockwell, Alexandra Paul, Robert Prowski, and Harry Dean Stanton. Uh, features a supporting performance from Roberts Blossom and Kelly Preston. 
Uh, written by Ben Phillips and based on the Stephen King 83 novel of the same name. So this came out the same year as the novel. The movie follows the changes in the lives of Arnie Cunningham, his friends, his family, and his teenage enemies after Arnie buys a classic red and white 1958 Plymouth Fury named Christine. License number CQB241. A car that seems to have a mind of its own and a jealous, possessive personality, which has a bad influence on Arnie. This, again, cult classic. It did well. Uh, made 21 million at the box office on 10 million budget. Um, reviewed decent, become a cult classic. I mean, again, we've talked about this one in the Stephen King adaptation list. I love this film. I, I, I think, again, the soundtrack is incredible. You could say that about most of Stephen King films. There's not, not sorry, Stephen King's, most of the John Carpenter films. He hasn't really whiffed it on the soundtrack. Uh, there's ones that are more iconic than others, sure, but, um, I don't really think he's done a bad soundtrack. And this one has a great one. I, I really enjoy Christine. Uh, it's great performances all around, really. And it's an adaptation of a Stephen King book. So, you know, what more, what more can you say? We get now to another film I've not seen. One year later. Again, this, this is churning them out. 1984's science fiction romance drama, Starman. Directed by John Carpenter, that tells the story of a non-corporeal alien who has come to Earth and cloned a human body, portrayed by Jeff Bridges, in response to the invitation found on the gold phonograph record installed on the Voyager 2 space probe. The original screenplay was written by Bruce A. Evans and Reynold Gideon, with Dean Reisner making an uncredited rewrites. Uh, it received positive reviews, but uh, faltered in its initial box office debut. Bridge was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Actor for his role. Um, there was a short-lived television series of the same name. Did not even know that. So yeah, I've not seen this film. Um, do we have any fans in the chat? So just having to catch up on what's been going on in the chat. Uh, bu -bu 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 -bu. Oh, Nick Castle, my name is not Earl, says Nick Castle went on to direct Spielberg's Hook. He also directed Dennis the Menace live-action movie with Christopher Lloyd. Baby, that's the thing. I still have so many questions about the alien ship carrying the virus. My name is not Earl John Carpenter's first studio movie. Slasher Fred, the thing is very much like an invasion of the body snatchers and it involves the fear of your loved ones being imposters. Very good, very good, actually. And I, I love Invasion of Body Snatchers. The um, Donald Pleasance one. I haven't seen the original uh, version. And I really liked Body Snatchers, the, um, the 1990 Abel Ferreira one. I thought that was excellent. Very underloved, that one. Baby, if those two movies came out today, Thing would be celebrated and E.T. would be review bombed. Um, Mel, I love Christine, easily in my top five. Baby, Ice, good lord, Christine, um, I'm ready for this remake also. Just hope its uh, setting is still in the 70s or 80s. My name is not Earl. Yes, I still have my VHS copy of Christine. Baby, Ice, Starman was decent. I liked it. Mel, I didn't like Starman. I found it very slow and boring. The movie just wasn't for me. Um... And then Jellaray says, I've seen it. It was decent. Slash Fred, I love the movie They Live. We'll be coming up to that. And uh, Eddie Hickey, it's probably because I was born in the 2000s. I don't know any of these. Well, Eddie, you're potentially going to find a new favorite director because um, he has done some stone-cold classics. Uh, and Slash Fred, John Carpenter had also directed a few episodes of the horror anthology series, Masters of Horror. Yeah, I've only seen some of Masters of Horror. I've actually seen more of um, the sort of follow-up series. I think it's called Fear Itself. I used to have a VPN for, like, American Netflix, and uh, Fear Itself was on there, which was kind of like an adjacent series. But I have seen one of his two episodes of uh, of uh, 
Masters of Horror. The main one I watched on Masters of Horror that I thought was really good was the uh, Takeshi Mike one. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but uh, it's this woman that gets tortured in Japan. It's really disturbing, but it was uh, brilliant. Um, <laughs> it sounds dark, but uh, I can't remember what it's called. Imprint or something like that. Really disturbing episode of television. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Starman, not seen it. Can't really talk too much about it. Uh, I'll have to give it a watch at some point because, you know, I'm I'm a fan. Now, two years later, two years later, Johnny Johnny C comes back with Big Trouble in Little China. This is a, this is a super fun film. It's not horror. It's a, a fantasy martial arts action comedy. Directed by Carpenter. Starring Kurt Russell, Kim Cattrall, Dennis Dunn, and James Hong. Tells the story of Jack Burton, who helps his friend Wang Chi rescue Wang's green-eyed fiancé from bandits in San Francisco's Chinatown. They go into the mysterious underworld beneath Chinatown, where they face an ancient sorcerer named David Lo Pan, who, receives, who requires a woman with green eyes to marry him in order to release him from a centuries-old curse. I mean, this film's a hell of a lot of fun. Hell of a lot of fun. I like the fact as well that uh, Kurt Russell is playing this. On the face of it, is his this uh, typical action hero. He's quite bumbling throughout quite a lot of it. Like uh, he's he's coming across, or he appears to be what you'd expect to be as a badass, but he kind of has a lot of luck in his encounters. So he's not actually a super kick-ass badass himself. Um, he has his moments, but I, I always find that quite funny. This is, it's just a good, fun action film. You can kick back, watch some fights, have a laugh, crack open a few brews. Uh, it's fun. And, uh, and yeah, Mel says in the chat, Kurt Russell is the audience. Uh, Fran can fast paced, uh, funny and action packed. Jack's got your back. Baby Ice Plus has got a young Kim Cattrall in it. Yeah, it, again, it was a commercial failure at release, grossing 11.1 million in North America, below its estimated 19 to 25 million budget, receiving mixed reviews that left Carpenter disillusioned with Hollywood and influenced his decision to return to independent filmmaking. Again, it gained a steady audience and home video, and has once again become a cult classic. Yeah, if you if you like a no nonsense, if you like a fuller nonsense, actually, uh, martial arts action film, give this a watch. Highly recommend it. Now, a film that doesn't get a lot of love, and the premise initially, before I saw it, sounded silly. Like Lucifer is green goo in the basement of a church? What? Oh my god, what? But I actually think this film's excellent. And that is the 1987 supernatural horror film Prince of Darkness, written and directed by John Carpenter, starring Donald Pleasance, Victor Wong, Jemison Parker, and Lisa Blout. Now, this is the second instalment in what Carpenter has kind of called his Apocalypse Trilogy. Started with The Thing in 1982. It follows a group of quantum physics students in Los Angeles who are asked to assist a Catholic priest in investigating an ancient cylinder of liquid discovered in a monastery, which they come to find is a sentient liquid embodiment of Satan. And the thing that I found very interesting in this film, there's quite a few things actually that I, I did really enjoy. He's not really just Satan, this this embodiment. It's the anti-god, which is quite a concept, because, you know, Satan is the 
the opposite of God. It's, you know, the, the Lucifer, the fallen angel, all these different interpretations and different ideas of what he is. But this is the anti-God. Um, that uh, there's a, a theorization that Satan is actually the offspring of the anti-God, an even more powerful force of evil bound to the realm of antimatter. Um, there are these moments where there are dream sequences from like a post-apocalyptic type future of this church, a church that kind of looks similar to uh, They Live that we'll look at a bit later on. But there's these messages that are being kind of broadcast into dreams from the future to basically warn of what will happen if uh, if the anti the anti god is allowed to come through or if Satan is allowed to come through. Um, there's some cool moments with uh, these attacks outside the grounds when they're becoming barricaded in by these kind of possessed homeless. Alice Cooper being one of the possessed homeless. Some cool attack moments where the uh, the ooze is uh, kind of possessing people and, uh, and attacking them. And one of my favourite moments in in horror, a scene where the uh, this woman who's got a face melted off, or like burnt off, it's melted off, and they've opened a gateway through a mirror to allow the 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 anti god through or Satan. I can't remember if it's Satan or the anti god. I'm pretty sure it's the anti god. Um. And it, it's kind of like it's a mirror, but it's kind of almost like a water portal into this other realm, the antimatter world. And um, one of our main characters kind of falls through there, and you can kind of see this horned—not horned, but like clawed hand—in the in the antimatter world. It's a really cool concept because it almost looks like it's underwater, but just visually. That finale sequence and that moment in the antimatter world, very brief, I think is excellent. I think it's so good. Um, look, let's look at the chat. So, boop, 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 boop. Eddie Hickey, the cover looks silly. Um, not sure if that was uh, for um, Big Trouble or Prince of Darkness. Uh, Baby Ice, Prince of Darkness is so underrated. My name's not Earl. Yeah, Carpenter wanted to make westerns, but unfortunately he was born the wrong decade, Carpenter's words. Slash of Fred, the movie kind of feels like a flashback because it begins in the office of Egg Shens and it is telling about how Jack Burton was a hero. Of course, it is revealed that Wang Chi was really the hero. Talking about Big Trouble in Little China. Slash of Fred, Prince of Darkness looks like it would be an episode of a horror TV series like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, unexplained possibilities. I'm, uh, so Mel, I'm not familiar with this movie. So Mel, this is this is good. Uh, it's one of his kind of lesser known films, but it is it's part two of his Apocalypse trilogy. But um, it's kind of like a horror assault on Precinct 13 in a way, in terms of this event happening in this one location, and there's attacks coming from the outside, there's people being possessed and attacking on the inside. Elements of paranoia, um, lots, lots of tension and threats. There's a moment with one of the characters trying to escape through a cool space when it's been attacked by these possessed women. It's a really cool film. Really cool film. The whole concept of the anti-god I just thought was excellent. Doesn't get enough love, I have to say. Does not get enough love. Um, but that was released in October 23rd, 1987. So almost a month after I was born. Um, we then move one year later. And we're not going to talk too much on this because we do have an episode uh, in a few weeks' time where we're going to be going a bit more in-depth on this. So don't panic. I'm not overlooking this. But that is the 1988 
science fiction action film They Live. Written and directed by John Carpenter, based on the 1963 short story Eight O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson, starring Hot Rod, Roddy Piper, Keith David and Meg Foster. The film follows an unnamed drifter who discovers through special sunglasses that the ruling class are aliens, concealing their appearance and manipulating people to consume, breed and conform to the status quo via subliminal messages in mass media. The film was a minor success at the time of its release, debuting at number five in the North American box office. It initially received negative reviews from critics who lambasted its social commentary, writing and acting. However, like Carpenter's other films, it later gained a cult following and experienced a significantly more favourable critical reception. It's now regarded by many as a legendary underrated work. I mean, I, like I say, I'm not going to go too much more into this because we're going to be doing a special episode on this uh, on this soon. But this is a brilliant film. It has one of the best fight sequences in cinema, which did get <laughs> did get imitated or or uh, inspired uh, or, or or satirized. I'm not sure the best term by South Park in a, in a fight between Timmy and Jimmy. They did it pretty much note for note. Um, so i would highly recommend i'd highly recommend they live it's a great science fiction paranormal action film it's got some, some great humor in this some excellent one night liners i'm not going to try and do them because i will fluff the lines uh but it's it's top of the notch so what a chat saying uh, uh slasher fred alice cooper also sang a song called prince of darkness uh yeah i've not really listened to much alice cooper outside of Frankenstein, female Frankenstein, and obviously schools out. Uh, Eddie Hickey, by the way, I was just strolling around YouTube, and Bericles has got a YouTube channel. Uh, yeah, Bericles Corner, give him, give him a follow. Uh, baby, I, I saw they live in theatres with my father. Wow. Um, yeah, Fran the Can, one of the best pen shops in cinema. Mel, another great one, and one with lots of truth to it. Jellery, I have to watch they live every time I find it on TV. Yeah, 100%. Uh, my name's not Earl. Stay asleep and obey slasher fred i've come here to chew bubblegum and kick butt and i'm all out of bubblegum that's one of the one of the most iconic lines in this um we will move on oh there's been a proposed remake where well, i need to look at that what uh 2010 there was development of a remake of the film with carpenter in a producing role matt reeves signed on to direct and write the screenplay the project also shifted away from being a remake of they live to a re-adaptation of eight o'clock in the morning okay ditching the satirical and political elements but since then there have been no new announcements and that was 11 years ago so i wouldn't hold your breath on that next up one that i think i've seen many 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 years ago but i really can't remember to be honest 1992's american comedy drama memoirs of an invisible man directed by john carpenter starring chevy chase daryl hannah sam neill michael mckean and stovey to Tuba- T- um steven sorry tobowski uh, the film is loosely based on Memoirs of an Invisible Man, a 1987 novel by H.F. Saint. According to a screenwriter William Goldman's book, Which Lie Did I Tell?, the film was initially developed for director Ivan Reitman. However, this version never came to fruition due to disagreements between Reitman and Chase. The film was a critical and commercial failure. Now, that does that makes kind of some sense to me that it was initially developed for director Ivan Reitman. It does feel kind of like it might have been like an ivan reitman i'm not saying it was like a ghostbusters film it felt like maybe that kind of that that tone was there 
to a degree in the script from from memory. Again, not seen it for so long. I really can't remember a lot about it. Um, hey, Hassan Terrell, how's it going? Welcome to the chat. Uh, Mel says, oh gosh, I remember this movie. It's not the best at all, but it has some charm to it. And Baby Ice, another misfire. Eddie, what is your best John Carpenter film, Tess? Well, I'll give you my top five at the very end when we get through the remainder of these films. It's going to be tough. I've got a few of them, a few ideas where I'm placing things, but uh, going to be a tough one. A lot of great films. Fran account, I think I've seen this, but can't remember it at all. Yes, very much the same. The same for me. Um... Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to read the whole blurb on it. There's not even there's not a brief synopsis, uh, but uh, Invisible Man film essentially. But I, I yeah, I, I can't remember it. Next, oh, another very underrated, I feel, uh, John Carpenter. That is In the Mouth of Madness from 1994, probably the second John Carpenter film I ever saw. Uh, growing up, this used to be on Channel Four quite a lot in the UK. It's since kind of disappeared from British um screenings as it were uh, for a while i don't even know if it's available yet on like region two for a while it was kind of like you couldn't really get it on dvd or blu-ray for a, a, a proper uk release for for blood nor money it wasn't on streaming but uh i think i was able to rent it a little while ago on on prime for a few quid um but this is this is john carpenter meets hp lovecraft to a degree via stephen king so stars Da, 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 da. Sam Neill, Julie Carmen, Jurgen Prachnow, David Warner, and Charlton Heston. Neill stars as John Trent, an insurance investigator who visits a small town while looking into the disappearance of a successful horror author and begins to question his sanity as the lines between reality and fiction seem to blur. Informally, the film is the third instalment in Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy, um, and it pays tribute to the works of H.P. Lovecraft in its exploration of insanity and its title. Kind of, the title kind of coming from uh, At the Mountains of Madness, which is Lovecraft's pretty much impossible to film uh, short story. It's incredible. It was distributed by New Line Cinema. It received mixed reviews upon release, but has since garnered a cult following, as they all do. Uh, let's have a quick look at the chat. Where are we at on the chat? Um, Hassan Terrell, do you know, is it NXT tonight? Uh, I believe so, Hassan. I don't really watch NXT. I'm, I'm fairly out of the loop on that. My name's not Earl. I honestly just found out Carpenter made Chevy's Invisible Movie. <laughs> well, there you go. You're welcome. Uh, Eddie Hickey, yeah, but NXT tonight, cannot wait. Baby Eyes, oh, again, I did not like this movie. Voodoo Vakes, remember to hit the like and sub, guys. It helps the channel a lot. Yep, listen to the man. Um... I really do like this film. And I think it's probably because I saw it fairly early growing up. Um, it's It blurs those lines between reality and uh, hallucination fiction. It has these moments where you're questioning what's real and what isn't, which is kind of a cinematic way of showing insanity. Is the character really going insane? Or are they encountering some supernatural metaphysical uh, entity? where there's this author that appears to be what he writes comes uh, comes to life comes comes to be but in actuality he is a, a concept really that is kind of keeping these old gods which is again is very kind of hp lovecraft uh, these monsters at bay it's very post apocalyptic well, it's very apocalyptic as part of the apocalypse trilogy in our finale and the film kind of opens with the ending as it's kind of telling the story of how we've got to this point where the world has gone to to shit really um 
it's really kind of gone gone down the toilet is the best way to put it but i i really do like this film um one of my friends who's a big john carpenter fan he never never heard of this film or never seen this film uh until a bit of a bit of uh, a couple of years ago i said you've got to watch it man it's definitely worth a watch and i think it's become one of his one of his top uh john carpenter films we're then moving on we're on the home the home straight now to 1995's village of the damned american science fiction horror directed by carpenter starring christopher reeve uh kirsty alley linda kozlowski michael pare mark hamill and meredith salinger based on the 1957 novel the midwich cuckoos by john windham which was previously adapted as the 1960 film of the same name uh this 1995 version is set in north california whereas the book and original film both set in the united kingdom the film was marketed with the tagline beware the children um it was the last publicly released film starring christopher reeve before he was paralyzed in a uh, horse riding accident in may 1995 as well as his last theatrically released film it was panned by critics and failed at the box office upon release um So, what um, this this film is all right. It's a fairly unoffensive film. I I much prefer In the Mouth of Madness in terms of nineties fare to this. This is probably one of my lower ranking nineties output from Carpenter. The kids are creepy as hell in it. The story does seem to lose steam like within the hour really but essentially if you don't know the midwich cuckoos you don't know village of the damned there is an event uh in this town where everyone falls asleep that's in a certain parameter kind of like a under the dome from stephen king but much before under the dome everyone falls asleep when they come to the women find that they're pregnant inexplicably they all have these kids that have these white-haired blonde-haired kids with creepy eyes and the kids have the ability to make you do what they want. And if you upset them, so kind of mind control, if you upset them, they'll make you kill yourself. Uh, it's all right. It's not a great film. The finale, it's one, like I say, it, it loses its steam within the hour. And when it gets into the finale, it's a decent finale, I guess, like in terms of how it, contains you know this this event contains them kind of taking over the world outside of uh outside of this california town but it's not great let's have a look at the chat what chat's saying creepy creepy kid says found the cannon baby ice another ice take i kind of like village of the damned um da, 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 da. uh food of vegas so uh lawrence playing some nhl 22 with some chums um mel i first saw this one on the sci-fi channel i had no idea why superman and luke skywalker were in it but i remember enjoying it for what it was slasher fred loved the 60s original um if you're new here slasher fred please uh join the the discord if you will if you have discord and there's probably a link somewhere in the chat it's a really cool community um yeah a bit further up in the chat from Streamlabs, and uh, give the show a like and a subscribe it really does help um but slash fred i love this 60s original uh yeah 60s original is great my name is not El. underrated 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 i grew up with village and i've got to say it's my fave movie of the 90s oh, okay fair enough baby i still got to watch the updated series is it out already um 
It is. I've not watched it yet. The updated Midwich Cuckoos. I've not watched it yet. Um, it came out, and then there was another Sky in the UK TV series about demonic child called the Baby. And I think the Baby sort of seemed to overshadow it in uh, in terms of its release. But no, I've not watched it. Yet. I do need to get around to it. Like I said, I've been watching this Red Rose series, which is all right. Uh, baby Ice, we like Village over Mouth of Madness, Tez. Um, I don't have a buzzer, uh, so that's 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 what you're gonna have to get. Um, bye, Eddie. Thanks for coming by. Have a good one. So that's Village of the Dam, 1995. Now, yeah, this may be a divisive one. Maybe Escape from LA, 1996. <laughs> American post-apocalyptic action film co-written, co-scored and directed by John Carpenter, co-written and produced by Deborah Hill and Kurt Russell, with Russell also starring as Snake Plissken. A sequel to Escape from New York, Escape from LA co-stars Steve Buscemi, Stacey Keach, Bruce Campbell, Peter Fonda and Pam Greer. Escape from LA failed to meet the studio's expectations at the box office and received polarised reactions from critics. The film later found a strong cult following. <laughs> Uh, not a fan of Escape from L.A., unfortunately. Um, baby, I snake doesn't surf, yeah. So I, I had a similar reaction when first watching this to another later, much later Carpenter film. In that I don't know if it was studio influence or if John wanted to do more technologically advanced things that he couldn't do in previous films maybe but there's a few of these later 90s 2000s carpenter films that utilize cgi and it's fucking terrible i'm sorry to say escape from la has its moments i mean this is essentially a remake of escape from new york it's kind of, it follows the same plot beats it's a slightly different story it's in la but there's a surfing scene which is poor it is poor. Steve Buscemi's calling this. Kurt Russell is Kurt Russell. He is excellent. Um, I really like Bruce Campbell's little little story in it as well. There's some cool moments in this film. There's 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 moments of fun to be had. Oh shut up, Siri. Listening to me out of nowhere. There's some fun to be had. Sorry, that was my watch going off. Uh, but it's mm, it's a misstep, and I don't know if it's just the bad CGI. There's another film like I say, we'll get to in a bit, where I didn't watch it for years because I turned off at the start for the flipping awful CGI. But this film does have very bad CGI in it. And I know you shouldn't let those sort of things, you know, I, I, I will normally nine times out of ten say, follow the story, you know, as long as the acting's good, the story's good. Directors can try and be adventurous with what they've got available, and sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't. That's, the CGI is quite distracting for me in this because it's really bad. Uh, Baby Ice says, yes, th that doesn't like Surfing Snake. <laughs> uh, my name is not Earl. It goes downhill now. Baby Ice, the movie stunk. Um, yeah, I wasn't a fan. Suffice to say, that's not going to be in my top ten. But, uh, yeah, it's, like I say, it's a similar sort of thing. This is now set in the year 2000, um, and it's set in LA. I won't go through the whole spiel, because, again, we don't have a brief blurb. We've only got the whole plot synopsis. Potentially another divisive one, but I do really like this film. 1998, John Carpenter came back with Vampires. 
Um, the 1998 American independent neo-Western film, directed and scored by John Carpenter and starring James Woods, uh, along with Thomas Ian Griffith, who is uh, Terry Silver from the Cobra Kai and Karate Kid Part 3. It was adapted from the novel Vampire Dollar Sign by John Stakely. Woods stars as Jack Crow, the leader of a team of vampire hunters. After his parents were murdered by vampires, Crow was raised by the Catholic Church to become their master slayer. The plot is centred on Crow's efforts to prevent a centuries-old cross from falling into the hands of Jan Valak, a reference to Valak, uh, played by Thomas Ian Griffin, uh, the first and most powerful of all vampires. The film also stars Daniel Baldwin as Tony Montoya. He is pretty good in this, I mean... He's not one of the most famous uh, Baldwins, but he is he's quite good in this film. Crow's friend and fellow fun, uh, fellow hunter, Sherilyn Lee, uh, who is, uh, she's, I mean, she was um, Laura Palmer and Mad Maddie Ferguson in Twin Peaks. I love Twin Peaks. Expect an episode on Twin Peaks at some point in the future. Um, a Katrina, a prostitute who has a psychic link to Valak after being bitten. Tim Guinea as Father Adam Guiteau and Maximilian Schell as Cardinal Alba. It had two direct-to-video sequels. I've not seen either of them. 2002's Vampires Los Muertos, starring John Bon Jovi, and Vampires The Turning from 2005. Not seen either. Can't really comment on them. I really enjoy this film. I really enjoy this film. James Woods, I remember when I first watched this, I did think he was a weird choice to be the all-action badass hero. Because at times he does come across like a bit of a joke in this. But he is a bit of a badass as well at times. Um, uh, one of the things I noticed, I was watching this with some friends a few years ago, because normally if they watch a horror film, it's because I've made them watch a horror film. And I put this on, and we all kind of noticed that he talks about getting a boner quite a lot in this film. <laughs> There's moments where he's just like, yeah, just, doesn't that get your pecker hard? Yeah, I'm getting real excited about this fighting a vampire. Yeah, oh, you can feel it right down there, can't you? Pecker's getting hard. It's like, calm down, mate. Have a wank and calm down, James Woods. Jack, uh, Jack, whatever your name is, Jack Crow. But there's a cool way that they kill vampires in this. It's a very impractical way, because if you start thinking about the logistics of it, then it, it doesn't make any sense. But they stab the vampires in the heart, or kind of shoot them in the heart with a bow, like a wooden stake, but it's from like a kind of a crossbow type thing, which is then hooked up to a winch to a jeep outside to drag them out into the sunlight. So rather than just trying to murder them in daylight, but in darkness, because they're in, you know hidden in their houses stab them up and then drag them outside to then burn up in the sun um i think thomas Ian griffith who again is only really known from my to my knowledge from uh from cobra kai and uh, karate kid 3 he is excellent in this he is excellent in this film um i think he's just started moving behind the scenes really after after a while he did a few films from like Karate Kid Part 3, Hollow Point, with Tia Carrera. Now, why, why, why did Tia Carrera disappear? She was cool. Triple X, uh, Another World, Rock Hudson. Um, and just sort of went behind the scenes before coming back into Cobra Kai. But yeah, he is excellent in this. Um, as the, uh, the, the lead vampire, the master vampire, Valak. We've got some cool kills. The, the scene near the start where he attacks all the vampire hunters while they're inebriated, I thought was excellent. 
really enjoyed this film. What a chat saying. Uh, boop, boop, boop. So talking about um, Escape from L.A., Head of Steel, I remember the effects being so bad they were distracting. My name is not Earl. Yeah, the CGI is atrocious. I don't think Carpenter was Carpenter in L.A., if that makes sense. It does make sense. I think it might have been because it was more of a studio film, that one. My name is not Earl. Yeah, the C... Uh, blah, 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 blah. Baby Ice, Vampires is good. Fran the Count, Vampires and Los Muertos are both good popcorn films. Mel, this was a surprisingly really good movie. Did not expect to enjoy it as much as I did. Slash Fred, cool. Baby Ice, the sequel wasn't good and never saw the third one. Uh, oh, okay, so this some good stuff. Mel, fun fact, Valak is actually a demonic entity with angelic wings and rides a two-headed dragon. He has no connection to vampires that I know of. Um, I wonder, is that the same Valak that they sort of drew inspiration from or took the name from for the Conjuring series with the, the nun? Um, I know the nun isn't based from like the Enfield hauntings or anything like that. It was like a creation for the series, but I wonder if there's any connection there. Um, slash Fred John Carpenter is also part of a music group called uh, the Coupe de Villes. Oh, okay. Check them out. If you like John Carpenter's scores, he has done a few Lost Themes albums, and they are really good. They are typical Carpenter. Really good synth stuff. My name is Noel James Woods. As a leading man, is something you think would only see on television. Shark, court drama. Got to give it to Carpenter, thinking outside the box, casting Woods in this one. Yeah, the only other big screen film I could think of at the time that I'd seen him in was Videodrome, which is a very different film. Uh, Jonathan A. Bays. Hey, how's it going? Uh, welcome to the show. My number one favorite Carpenter non-horror movie is Escape from New York. I grew up watching it on VHS. Yes, same one. Oh, uh, in terms of Valak. Oh, okay. Interesting, Mel. Um, and yeah, Escape from New York. Excellent film, Jonathan. Excellent. Welcome to the show. We now move on from Vampires in 1998 to the film I didn't watch for a very long time. So this Ghosts of Mars came out in 2001. So this was more of a time when, you know, I was into my early teens. So I was becoming more of a film fan. Like when you're a kid, you sort of, you know, you like the films that you're shown or you see on TV. But, you know, you, you wouldn't really call yourself a f film aficionado when you're like eight. Um, but this was coming out at the sort of time where, you know, I was in my early teens. I was, you know, Halloween. I knew who John Carpenter was. And I remember this getting lambasted critically. And I watched this for the first time. Well, I tried to watch this for the first time a few years ago. And I turned it off in the first 10 minutes because the CGI was fucking awful. Uh, so yeah, 2001, Ghosts of Mars. Uh, American science fiction action horror film written, directed, and scored by John Carpenter. Produced by Screen Gems and distributed by Sony Pictures Releasing. Stars Nat Natasha Henstridge, um, Ice Cube. Again, Natasha Henstridge, why hasn't she done more? I mean, I know her from Species, but... She's a good actress. Uh, Ice Cube, Jason Statham, Pam Greer, Clea Duval. Uh, why do I recognize that name? Oh, yeah, she's in The Faculty. Uh, and Joanna Cassidy. The film received largely negative reviews and earned 14 million box office against a 28 million production budget. The film would be John Carpenter's last feature until his return in 2010. It's received a cult following since its release, with critics praising the action sequences, soundtrack, and blending of genres, giving the film's uh, debt to Western cinema, particularly the works of Howard Hawks. It's been considered by a number of critics as an example of the weird Western subgenre. Not familiar with weird Western, gonna be honest. Um, so I eventually did get around to watching this a few years later, and this is—it's a de—it is a decent film actually. If you get past the opening CGI being fucking god awful. 
it has some good moments in it like the ghosts on mars the the entities with the piercings on the fingers which looks ugh. they're pretty creepy there's some pretty cool kills in it it's not the best film by far um i mean the representation of the cast and the appearance of the film does almost initially make it look like a sci-fi film from the early 2000s and when i say sci-fi i mean the channel like a sci-fi original production but it does have carpenter elements in it it's you know it's got his feel in places um but again it's just a bit of a victim for me in my enjoyment initially of the cgi i am glad that i did go back and eventually give it a proper watch because i did have fun in, with it by the end but I, it, it's not going to be in my top five i'll just say that now let's look at the chat Mel, Ghosts of Mars is one of those films you write off, but once you uh, get into it, it's cheesy but fun. Has some freaky moments as well. Yeah, I'll agree with you, Mel. Slasher Fred, I read that Ghosts of Mars was originally supposed to be a third Snake Plissken film. There had been talk of doing Snake Plissken in space, um, but he's also talked about doing Michael Mars in space, but I think that was just a wind-up, uh, wind uh, you know, film journalists. But yeah, that would make sense for Snake Plissken because there's a bit more of a science fiction element there at times. Baby Ice, The Hard Way, The Specialist, Any Given Sunday. Put respect on James Wood's baby. I'm sorry, Baby Ice. Uh, Ghosts of Mars is all of Carpenter's films rolled into one. Fran the Can, I think this is the first time Jason film, the first Jason Statham film I saw. It's very much of its time. Yeah, it is very much, it is a 2001 film, and it does feel like that. Um, but it's got some cool moments. I think if, you, if you've ever not seen it because you've written it off, um give it a watch and like the soundtrack's pretty cool it's quite a metal soundtrack uh steve i works on one of the songs with uh bucket baker and john carpenter the song ghosts of mars buckethead robert fink who's been in nine inch nails and uh anthrax um well some members of anthrax i've never heard of uh worked on another song love siege yes there's, there's some there's heavy metal in there fran the can this is Carpenter having his emo moment <laughs> And uh, and finally, in terms of theatrical releases, we had 2010's The Ward, uh, starring the controversial uh, in the in the in the news in the last few years. So we won't go into it too much. Uh, Amber Ward, uh, Mammy Gummer, Danielle Panabaker. Um, what have I seen her in? Empire Falls. Don't know. That name sounds familiar. Uh, Laura Lee, Lindsay for um for sent for seeker, Mika Borum and Jared Harris. 2010 supernatural psychological horror film directed by John Carpenter. Um, set in 1966, the film chronicles a young woman who is institutionalized after setting fire to a house and who finds herself haunted by the ghost of a former inmate at a psychiatric ward. As of 2022, this is Carpenter's most recent film as a director. I've only seen this film the once, and I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I maybe need to give it a rewatch because, I, you know, it's not not always a good idea to kind of write things off. You know, give give them their due, give them another moment. But for me, this just from memory felt. Uh, it felt like it was a, an earlier two thousands film. There was a lot of these jump scary moments, which I thought were kind of cheap compared to what I had grown up with Carpenter. Um, I mean, you don't know if this is, uh, is this an independent film or a studio film? I think it may be an independent film. 
It wasn't written by Carmen. It was written by Michael Rasmussen and Sean Rasmussen. So maybe he was phoning it in a bit. You know, he's he's written quite a lot of the films that he's he's directed or co-written. Um, but uh, yeah, I I couldn't get with this one. It just didn't feel like Carpenter. Uh, what the chat saying? <clears throat> Slash Fred, I love the creepy theme. Baby Ice Ward had a couple of cool moments, but overall pass. Mel, sadly, I need to head out. I have a couple of people wanting some tarot readings. All you find people will be saying, take care. Thank you, Mel. Have a good one. I'll, I'll catch up with you soon, buddy. Baby Ice, more ice thought. I think Amber Heard's a decent actress, minus her real-life controversies. Yeah, fair enough. Fran the Cannon, Panna Baker, Friday the 13th remake. Ah, right, sorry, yes. Piranha 3 Double D and the Crazies remake. Yeah, the Crazies remake's decent. Um, oh, Friday remake is where I recognize her from. Thank you, Fran. Sorry. Um, yeah. The Ward. Do, wasn't for me. Wasn't for me. I, If that's the last film that he directs, and bear in mind he is 74. He has felt burnt out by cinema and gone into semi-retirement for a while. He's done some episodes of Masters of Horror, as we've mentioned. Um, Masters of Horror should have been better than it was from what I saw, but again, it didn't really get shown properly much in the UK. I think it might have been on Bravo over here. It's I think I had a look a while ago for like some DVD copies, and they're all Region 1. I don't have a re multi-region player. Um, but yeah, if this is his last cinematic outing, it's... Uh, yeah, sad. I mean, he's he's you know, he's been a consultant and uh, music producer for um, uh, the Halloween, the new sort of series, whatever you may think of those. And he's doing his music, which is cool. I was fairly lucky about four or five years ago now to see John Carpenter live. Uh, he was touring the UK. He was in Brighton, and uh, he was playing. He did a couple of his songs from his like lost themes. But really, it was him, his son, and their colleague, along with the band, doing the soundtracks from his films. And it was incredible. And on, on the screen on the back, they played moments from those films. And that was incredible. And if he's happy doing that and doesn't want to return to films like directing, fair dues. I know he's a big, avid gamer. Uh, if you don't follow John Carpenter on, on Twitter or Instagram, he does comic books as well, but he loves his video games. Like, he was tweeting when, when it got released about Assassin's Creed Valhalla, saying how much fun he was having. <laughs> so, yeah, fair play to him. He's, he's produced so many classic films. If he doesn't want to do any more, then he doesn't have to. But, uh, yeah, the ward didn't end... Uh, wasn't, wasn't a great ending to me. So, where does this leave us? Now, I'm going to do a top five, um, which is going to be tough. <laughs> but I didn't want to do a top three because I felt I'd be leaving out too many. So in at number five, let me bring up the list. Let me bring up the list and collate my thoughts. Now, this is just my opinion. I'm not saying these are the five best films and this is the definitive top five. Uh, it's all subjective. Okay, so bear that in mind. Um, at number five, I am going to say... Da, 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 da. Oh, shit. Um, let's move the number over here. Number five, I'm going to say, for me, Escape from New York. And that's purely because I am more of the horror Carpenter fan. I do love Escape from New York. Um, but and it's in my top five at the end of the day. He's done quite a few films. Escape from New York, I'm going with as my number five. Um, whew, now... Potentially controversial. I don't care. I don't care if it's controversial. My number four. 
is vampires. I do love this film. I do love this film. Um, it's just fun. It's just a fun, schlocky action horror with some cool gore effects at times. The re the the vampires themselves I think are great in this film. Like where they kind of live in the dirt. Again, I also think that's quite a unique take that they're not like they don't all have these hideouts. Sometimes they literally will just sleep in the dirt. That was excellent. That is my number four. Bringing me to my number three. Fucking hell. My number three. My number three. Uh, it's Christine. It's a, it was a toss-up between Christine or They Live. And I'm, to not include They Live does seem sacrilegious. Um, but then there's quite a lot. I love a lot, a lot of his films. But if I've got to say the ones that I do tend to go back to a lot, number three is Christine for me. Um, it's just the tone of it, the sequence. One of the best sequences when uh, the car starts going on a killing rampage against the bullies and it corners one of them down this, this alleyway. I just thought that was excellent. I love that. Number two. One and two can flip-flop around, really, for me. They can easily flip-flop and change. Um, I would normally think that this would be my number one, but I just I think that my number one just does pip this in terms of as a complete picture. Number two is Halloween. I love this film. It was my first ever horror film. It had such a huge impact on me. Um, there's even things that someone pointed out that I never noticed, that the hand that's holding that knife, if you look at the hand there, it's making a face screaming. Never noticed that. Never noticed that. You can't see my mouse, so that's not much help. But if you look at the top of the hand that's holding the knife, or if you look at a higher res image, it's a face that's screaming. And obviously it's a pumpkin on there with the teeth, whatever. But number two is uh, is Halloween. Obviously I've got to give honourable mentions to uh, Escape... Uh, sorry, for um, They Live and, uh, and Prince of Darkness um, and The Fog. You know, Big Trouble... But my number one has to be, oh, number one has to be the thing. It just, it has to be. It has to be for me. Um, I just, I, I think this film is one of the best paranoia-based horrors, science fiction horror blending ever. I would probably actually say I would put the thing for me over alien and i'm a big alien fanboy alien and aliens i love growing up aliens is probably one of my favorite science fiction films of all time but if i'm talking sci-fi paranoia of which you know the, there's paranoia stalk and slash in, in alien i'd say the thing pips it. i just i think this film's incredible incredible ensemble cast the effects in it i think still look brilliant today with you know the practical effects there's so much that i love about this film that's my number one let's turn it over to the chat see what we've got so fran the can says that i didn't know he worked on the soundtrack for the recent firestarter remake that's cool um slasher fred i read that john Carpenter was originally supposed to direct the original firestarter never seen the original not seen the remake i've not heard good things about the remake uh baby ice number one the thing Two, Escape from New York. Three, Christine. Four, Big Trouble in Little China. Five, They Live. Baby Ice, Vampires Over Escape. You're killing me. Uh, my name is not Earl. Five, Escape from New York. Four, Christine. Three, The Thing. Two, Village. One, Halloween. Fran the Cannon. Um, 
The Thing as uh, from one to five. The Thing, Halloween, Big Trouble, They Live, Vampires. Uh, Franken, The Thing is aka Among Us the movie. We still need to arrange an Among Us game at some point. We definitely do. I need to chat to I need to chat to Laura at some point and say let's um let's get something sorted for sure because that's going to be a lot of fun I think. Um, and plus I've seen loads of Let's Play videos of it, uh, and I've only recently downloaded and I haven't played it yet, but it does look a lot of fun. So this is cool. We've had a lot of, uh, different takes on favorite John Carpenter films. Um, a lot of love for the man. The cool thing is he hasn't just done purely horror films. He's done you know, action, he's done some comedy, uh, science fiction, drama, love stories everything so there's kind of a bit of something for everyone and it's quite in interesting to see that we don't all have the same top fives uh if you're listening to some audio podcasts tweet at ministry underscore horror and or or if you go to facebook and uh put a post on a ministry of horror and let me know your thoughts let me know your top fives of john carpenter films so what have we got coming up this week on the Ministry of Slam Network? Bloody out, almost two and a half hours. This is it's been a while since we've done a long one, guys. Um Lawrence uh I think he's doing some gaming this week. I know he did gaming yesterday, so I, I just keep an eye on the socials or the Discord uh for an idea on some gaming. I'm looking to do a game at some point. I'm I'm doing my study in as well, but I am looking to to get back onto a game. I'm thinking Mortuary Assistant. But I don't imagine that's got a strong story, which maybe is a bit pres presumptuous. So I'm looking at maybe just doing a non-horror game at some point. Um, not sure. And Madison doesn't look like it's my sort of game. I've had a look at some gameplay things. It looks very similar to something like... Um, what was that Haunted House game? Um, Visage? Couldn't really get into that. Wasn't my sort of thing. Kind of like a spooky version or a supernatural version of Outlast. Didn't really get on the Outlast games, to be honest. So I am thinking maybe just a non-horror game i want a good story-based game to sink my teeth into i'll have a look at something and, and drop in the chat but i don't think i would do mondays just i did i was starting to feel a bit tired out by the time we got to tuesday's show from doing you know two three hours on sunday on mos uh a couple of hours on monday and then a couple of hours tuesday it's a little it's getting a bit much you know it's kind of impacting some other things so i need to space these things out to you know keep keep myself engaged you know so Check out the network for any gaming. I think Tony Years was last week, so it should be next week, not this week, not this week, for the next episode of Tony Years from Bericles and Dave. Be sure to check that out. Um, and then obviously Sunday returning for the Ministry of Slam, the uh, the last live show before we go and see Clash at the Castle. So the following week you'll hear our our, our thoughts, and I'm gonna I'll put together a vlog, um, a vlog from Clash at the Castle and uh, the Wrestle WrestleCon event that we're going to. But it's going to be an action-packed few weeks of, of wrestling stuff. And uh, and then next week we're going to be returning with um, the Ministry of Horror on Tuesdays. So if you haven't already, if you're watching live, please give us a like. Please also subscribe to the MOS Network. It all helps. If you're listening on audio, audio podcast, uh, whether that's, you know, uh, now Audible, Stitcher, um, Apple, spotify whatever ones there are uh, give us a five star if you like follow whatever the gist is there on your podcast of choice really cool stuff uh ministry of marvel the first episode dropped last week that is the premium content uh on the memberships from uh from lawrence and uh and gareth 
check that out really cool stuff i believe that's a monthly show but uh, yeah we have our memberships become a member some really cool stuff cool emojis i'm going to do some more emojis of my dog because he is the best he is the pooch of horror bailey boy he's not here at the moment he's uh, stayed at my dad for a couple of days yes we need to end the poll thank you very much fran cannon i am absolute dog shite at remembering to end the poll so we had a, uh, a poll running for the show for best john carpenter film uh so coming in fourth place we had halloween coming in uh third place they live with 13 percent escape from new york 33 percent came second and the first with 46 percent was the thing so thank you very much everyone that's taken part in the poll it's good fun guys i've had a good time this evening uh i'm now gonna get the show up on to podcast platforms so uh and i'm also going to try and watch the last episode of uh of red rose and if i remember i'll do a review on the series next week but i will keep it spoiler light it's all available on on bbc iplayer um i'm watching it through kind of sky like on demand i've been watching a lot of that and also watching a lot of um slum slum landlords nightmare tenants i don't know I'd, it's kind of like another version of can't play or take it away i don't know why i just have fascination with that I imagine it's a hor horrible situation going in those situations, but there's just a morbid fascination, don't I? Anyway, and if you're if you're not in the UK and you think, what the fuck is he talking about? They're shows, British sort of reality shows about uh, landlords and tenants and uh, things going wrong and uh, all that stuff. You could say there's horror in that as well. Um, Fran can will have watched it by then. Awesome stuff, Fran. Awesome stuff. Um, also, I I've had some suggestions from the comments on the warhammer painting video about different ones to try do a bit more research this that and the other i think when i do another video i will once again do it as uh recording i'll, I'll i had put in a i had initially done a uh recorded audio while i was doing it i was talking into this camera uh for my webcam uh while i was painting but when i went to edit it and i did the sped up footage of my uh black magic pocket cinema 4k camera I thought that it worked better with music than with my talking over different segments. Um, but maybe I could just do an audio commentary after after the fact based on the, the edit as it is. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but there's been comments on, you know, doing something more horror-based with that. I might look at some other characters, some other classes from Warhammer to paint. Um, I understand, though, with doing that, I'll have to do a bit more research into the painting process and also um purchasing brushes and different paints because i imagine you have to get the paint separately unless it comes in a kit a lot of things to consider there personally i would prefer to do another sort of horror based paint type thing but not on a miniature so that was one of the things that did surprise me when doing the the video was how bloody small the miniatures are so i don't know if there's like a, a similar type of thing from games workshop or whatever where they are slightly obviously not to scale not going to painting like an enormous monster but not quite as tiny i don't know i don't know just things to consider anyway i've rambled on enough guys thank you very much for watching the ministry of horror for giving us some time on the mos network and uh let me just find the credits and i hope you have a good evening see you later <laughs>